What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Cases and cases of confidence. Staples can help give you the confidence that your business is ready for the year ahead with all the supplies you need. Like paper. And right now, when you buy a 10-ream case of Staples multipurpose paper, you get one free. So you can be confident you're ready for whatever business comes your way. Buy one case of Staples multipurpose paper, get one free. Now at Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. In-store only, limit 10. Valid through 1519. Tuning in to the hottest talk radio show around, providing an open discussion for some of the most important social issues and trending topics today. From personal growth or spirituality to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So prepare to be empowered, enlightened, and entertained during another episode of the award-winning Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. Real people, real topics, real talk. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It. It is Wednesday. Yes. December the 6th, 2017. Tis the season. This is our farewell show to 2017. And I am so happy to be in the studio with my girls, Miss Paula B. Hey. She's our silent co-host tonight, so she says. <laughs> we also have Miss Rhonda Arrington. Welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. Caprice L. More looking beautiful as ever. What is going on? People. And then for the last show, I'm kind of I'm in my feelings tonight. I'm a little in my feelings as well. I'm not gonna we, lie. Our boy, you know, he's graduating next week, right? Ooh. He was our sound engineer. He did a wonderful job the entire semester. Thank you so much. No problem. Uh, Mr. Kavon Robinson. Yes. No problem. Thank you so you. much. Yeah, he was great. He was awesome. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Awesome. awesome. Warm. I'm warm Cold. now. Now you're, you came in shivering. You know, judgment in this studio is real. <laughs> it's freezing. Yeah, we're supposed to get some, what, mixed weather? What's a remix? Yeah. On yeah. Thursday on Friday, Thursday? Especially Friday. No accumulation, right? No. Accumulation. no. Okay. I, I think I can deal with that. As long as I can't, my sinuses can't get any worse. I don't need that. No, it's up and down. And right. It's, it's really messing with the voice. <laughs> right. Yeah. All the time. All, All the time? time? Up there in New England, okay. Yeah. That's where you're from, right? That's where I'm from. New England. Yeah, I, I saw that. I said, uh-oh, swallow from up top, too. Yeah. I'm from New York. I'm, I ain't that far up, but I'm up right. there. Anybody have any big holiday plans? I'm um, going home. I'm excited about that. Okay. How long are you going to be home? Christmas in Connecticut for a week. For a week? Mm. Yes. Wow. Christmas in Connecticut. The week of Christmas? What? The week, After Christmas? The 22nd, and I'll be back on, like, the 29th. Get a week off. Okay, that is, yeah. that's wonderful. What about you, Rhonda? Well, um, typically during this time of typically during this time of the year, yeah. I either go to Florida to visit one of my older brothers, and this year he's coming here. 
So he's going to be um, hanging with um, all of my brothers. We're going to go meet up in Raleigh, North Carolina. My brothers, my sisters, so we're going to, we're not going too far, but okay. North oh. Carolina shall be our fun. And Caprice, you stay on the road. Where are you going? I'm actually going here. <laughs> I'm actually cooking for really? my family for Christmas Eve. Okay. Yeah, I usually do Christmas dinner, cook for everybody. We don't want them bringing anything. It's like our gift to them because we don't like late folks. You know, uh, us folks like to come up, show up by 445, 5 right. o'clock, and then we already want to eat, and they already got, you know, nah. So we just do everything. So, so I'm going to cook Christmas Eve because everybody, it's like Christmas on a Monday this year, and everybody got to work on Tuesday. Right. Oh, okay. I don't. Yeah. I'm home. It's on a what? Monday. <laughs> Christmas is on a Monday. Christmas is on a Sunday. Christmas, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. Sunday. Christmas is on Monday, so therefore I'm doing it Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's on a Monday this time. Hmm, okay. Everybody go back to work Tuesday. Other than okay. school. Mm. Back to work. And you, you're going to be a graduate. What, yeah. are, you, what are you doing? Because it's going to be a little bit different, but same old, same old with my mom. Okay. Just chilling at home. So you be in D.C.? Yeah, D.C. area. What about you? Okay. I, um, I don't know. <laughs> I was telling um, my friend Nate, who was supposed to be here tonight, that I wanted to do something. Because I was supposed to go to New York, um, a friend of mine. On a mega I, bus. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were going to take a bus. It might have been the mega bus. It may have been the mega bus. It probably was. Bus? We, yeah. I don't mind. I'm not bougie like that. I don't yeah, I'm, like, I'm way too bougie for that. Yeah. As long too. as I hate driving. That's because I hate driving. I, I don't like now, my friend, he likes driving. So he he may have chosen to drive. But I, I, I was fine with the bus. We were going to do that. But I think we're going to be here. And I would like to do something in group. A group activity. Like going to Williamsburg and Well, you won't be Christmas here, so town. it really doesn't, you know. Really. I know, but that was one of my plans to go to Christmas Town. No, I never wanted to do that. I wanted, I would like the rides, but I have no interest in looking at Christmas lights at all. It's more than Christmas lights, Will. Have you ever been? No, she wanted to see the decorations. That's yeah, I, I, like when we're driving, she's like, oh, my God, I love Christmas decorations. I love Christmas lights. Because <laughs> they're wonderful. Right, but I wanted to go see the trees. I wanted to go see the shows. Oh, well, I we have plenty of trees. We passed on the way to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what he did? He, he, we were at Get Ready Pass, um, the waterside, and they had this beautiful tree there. Mm-hmm. And he just stood there like a few little seconds longer. It's like, are you enjoying that? <laughs> oh, we don't have to go to Bush Gardens because there's oh, a tree no. right there. Oh, no. Yes, doesn't that terrible? I just don't not the same. You like Christmas lights? Yeah, I love Christmas lights. It's the spirit. It's the spirit that brings me. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, I love Christmas, but I mean, the light's okay. <laughs> now, my neighbors, they like a whole bunch of colored lights. Oh. Like, she has turquoise lights around her, her half. I bet they do like colored lights. Her half. Her half <laughs> of the, you know, the steps. And then she has some multicolored lights on the house. And then on her deck, she has some orange lights. And I'm like, I wish I could call somebody. Right. Who you calling? And then she has those lights that flash, and half of it is on my my side of the house. So oh, I'm really, I'm tempted to go over there, because she has it in her pot on her plant, and like turn it so it's only on her side of the house. Oh, my God. Are you a Scrooge? No, but a I don't Grinch? Like it's, it's a little ghetto. It looks a little ghetto. Well, that, that description does, but yeah. that sounds yeah. like it. I don't want it on but my we were side. at the town center yesterday. It was beautiful. It was, I, I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I haven't been down there yet. I'm going to have to go down to town center. You to my in, in They Virginia have this Beach, right? like ornament that you yeah, can go in, stand inside, and take, take pictures. That was pretty. It was pretty. I know where it's at. If I get in the mood, I'll go down there and look at it. Five <laughs> or ten seconds and leave. <laughs> but leave. Oh my God. I don't need to go to Bush Gardens and look at a whole bunch of them. We're going. 
All right. So it's a lot going on in the news. Yes. So some of the headlines, you know, they released the Time Magazine Person of the Year. Yes. Everybody thought it was going to be President Trump. He actually came in Why, who second. Thought, who thought that? He, he announced it. Oh. And then the People Magazine said that he was actually the second runner-up. He came in second place. And then the president of China was third runner-up. So the people that did make it were the silence breakers, the people who were the whistleblowers for all the sexual harassment. I think it has like Taylor Swift. Um, what, what? Remind me what Taylor Swift has done. Nothing. Well, you know, she did the thing with the guy who groped her, and she sued him. Remember the manager that in the photo shoot she said he grabbed her? Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I didn't realize she was one of the people. Well, she did it outside of when it really became popular. She oh, was like okay. one of the first people who did it separately. Because I think she did hers a couple of years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but they're I get just saying that she stepped up and had the courage to, you know. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was big this week. Also, they're calling for Al Franken to resign. Um, the Democratic senators mm-hmm. actually calling for him to resign after the, the seventh accuser said that he told her that it was his right to, um, to basically sexually harass her. Mm. Wow. Um, I blame Clarence Thomas. You blame? I'll put a a star by that. We'll come back. Okay. And President Trump, he officially announced that he recognized, or that the United States recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And he also directed the State Department to go ahead and move the U.S. Embassy um, that's in Israel to Jerusalem from um, Tel Aviv. Well, he could recognize Jerusalem, but he can't recognize when he groped somebody and he need to step down. Nor can he recognize These that Puerto Rico. These are all Pico. distractions. Exactly. It's, it's, He's it's, trying it's, to bamboozle us. We're not going for it this time. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, this this has really got me. Um, he's trying to kill this bill that um, Obama put into um, the position protecting restaurant services is called the tip pooling rule. Mm-hmm. And it limits the scenarios in which tip workers can be mm-hmm. forced to share their gratuities with other employees. Um, the administration says that they, the changes will steer more money towards cooks and dishwashers um, who do unseen work and they don't get tipped by patrons. So worker groups say that it would lead to lower pay and wage theft. If the rule is done away with, it would be easier for management mm-hmm. to divvy up the tips how they please or even keep the tip for for the house. Mm. No, if so, they work yeah. doing the work, they should. I didn't know the that tip. when you tip people, tip like the, your server, that they have to divide that with the people. Mm-hmm. They I do. They that. have to. Uh, but it, it depends on the establishment. Really? It, yeah. Um, the, the, some establishments have waitresses to um, divvy their things between busboys and hostesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are also paid on that the wage like mm-hmm. waitresses. But if they're not paid on that same wage, then they don't split them. Because if I'm a hostess and I'm paid minimum wage, I'm a busboy and I get paid minimum wage, mm-hmm. then um, if they specify to give me a tip, then I can get the tip. But a waitress or a server, they are, they're not paid a minimum wage. I mean, it's a small wage, but it's way, beyond, it's way below. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it was in the, the 90s and 2000s. I don't mm. know if it's different uh-huh. or or is now three dollars opposed to two it's still two it's still two i'm, mm-hmm. I'm a server yeah okay and we, we share everything with everybody really everything we share yeah tips uh-huh. get taken out as far as like the bus boys and the host mm-hmm. in the front everything gets taken out wow so, so you what, tip, you big then what's the accountability because you guys pick it up right yeah and then what you do go mm-hmm. at the end of the night you 
pull it out? Yeah, at the end you of the night, what's left? the computer usually does yeah. that for us already. Oh, okay. Saying that they're helping us out, you know, with the cleaning the tables. Yeah. And stuff like but that. how they know how much you tip? If I left you $10, how would... Because at the end of the well, night, usually you're supposed to put in the... Oh, so it's the honor it. system. They got the, the honor system. Oh, okay, gotta, yeah. that's exactly that work for me. But what <laughs> would y'all do? Um, because me and my husband was a little nervous. On, we was like, should we? We went to IHOP. We was in South Carolina for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We went to IHOP the next day. So we went there, nice breakfast. The table next to us, um, they had kids there, little teenagers. They got up. The mother left a nice tip. It looked like, like $16. Mm-hmm. So oh, as wow. they was going out, the son came back, took the tip off the table, and put it in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Now, my, I wanted to say something to the mom. My mm-hmm. husband was like, just leave it alone. You know, you can't get involved with stuff. I'm saying, but this, this guy is not going to get the tip now because the kid took it. His, the mother should know. So we didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. What would y'all do? Would y'all have went to the mother and say, hey, your son just took the tip off the table? I think I would have. No, I definitely would have. I would have said, oh, excuse me, hey, that, I think that's the tip. Yeah, I would just say it like that. Like uh, that. I think that's yeah. the tip. And then, if the, and if they turned around, <laughs> uh-huh. and they would have been like, like, "What?" And he would. Like, and then, if they didn't reprimand him, then that's on him. Yeah. At least I made a scene about it because uh-huh. we can't make anyone go into their pockets, whatever. But I would at least make somebody feel uncomffortable. Mm-hmm. His sister mm-hmm. saw him doing it, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if about they was, how old were they? They was like 13, 14. and he uh-huh. took the tip and uh-huh. put it in his pocket. And the little him and his sister looked at each other, and they walked out, and was, the mother was standing there waiting to pay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Heck, I want to say something." He was like, "Don't get in people's business," you know. I'm like, <laughs> "But the." Service not going, and she was a really good servant, not mm-hmm. going to get the money. But we didn't wind up saying anything. I'm like, Dag, that servant went, came to the table. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I want to tell her that the little kid put the tip in the pocket. Definitely would have been torn on that one. I would have been, you're probably the same position as you, just kind of torn on whether or not to discipline. Because I feel like I, when I, I don't want to set that boundary over, you know, trying to correct another person's child sometimes. That's just my problem sometimes. Yeah, yeah I mean, to Look, me, we was in South Carolina and they was of the other race. I'm just trying to get back home. <laughs> that's, that's why. That's why I would just make it as an announcement. I wouldn't say, "Hey, I think your son took it." Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that even if it was black because it doesn't even matter if they're white. People today will shoot, kill, and punch you over their kids. So I would have mm-hmm. just been loud mm-hmm. on myself. Yeah. But I just would have been loud and said, "Oh, I think that's the tip." Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I would have done. <laughs> you could have gotten away with that, right? Yeah, 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 away with right. Yeah. So. Have you ever not gotten tipped by people? Oh yeah, so many times. Yeah. Unfortunately, that just comes with it. I've gotten really blessed by tips too, though. So really? it's kind okay. of a double-edged sword. I feel like. Yeah, it's just—I mean, going to restaurants is tricky. It is tricky because that same time I see a young couple, their baby's like two, just eating sugar packets, dropping the little jelly things on the floor. It's like, mm-hmm. are you going to say something to the kid? <laughs> and she's not. She's paying attention to her boyfriend, not even paying attention to the kid. I'm mm-hmm. like, he's opening up jelly. I want to be like, I, I want to know what are you doing in your restaurant experience that you be paying this much attention to other folks. <laughs> because we're waiting for our food. So we're looking, you know, looking mm. at other people. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> like, pick this jelly packet up. I want to take the kid in the back and feed him for God's sakes. <laughs> well, you know what? We have a topic I want to talk about. So, you know, we have, my salon, we have a pageantry division. LFI pageantry. And we was considering going to this pageant. I'm not going to say the name this weekend. Mm-hmm. But I was on the website looking, mm-hmm. and um, it's the pageant that has black in front of the name. Okay. <clears throat> so it's a Miss Black something. Okay. Um, Awareness rally. <laughs> so, and, and people, if you have, uh, if you want to comment on this, the number is 757-683-4405. Um, so this is again? what I read. 757-683-4405. Okay. 
We want to hear from y'all. Call yes, in. Yes, definitely on this topic because it's going to go far beyond pageantry. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so this this person who was Caucasian posted this on her page. She said, do you also have a Miss White North Carolina USA pageant? How about a Miss Hispanic North Carolina USA pageant? Didn't think so. Must be racist or something. Just saying. So the girl who has the pageant, she said, um, let's see here. Once upon a time, there were pageants. <laughs> Many different ones for different states and cities. But the black women could not and were not allowed to participate due to the ignorance of others in a racist society. So one day it was decided to create our own, which still exists today. Mm-hmm. Because, well, that's how traditions work. The end. Hope you enjoyed that. Maybe next time you'll do your research. So my question is, number one, do you think, because this has crossed my mind. I understand the need for us to have black certain things. Mm-hmm. But do you think we move past the time to have those? Or do you, do you feel like if you saw something that said Miss White, whatever, how would you feel? Well, I think it's apples and oranges. I think, and, and we'll talk about that for the rest of our lives when mm-hmm. it comes to civil rights mm-hmm. and the comparison of different things. It, it, it goes back to the argument with HBCUs, with historically black colleges and universities. And when the argument a few years ago was, uh, is it still necessary to have an HBCU? Is it still necessary to have the Panhellenic Council? Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what that is, the black Greek. Mm-hmm. You know, are these things still necessary? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we get we get stuck, black and white. I think we get stuck because the year is not the year when those things came about and because legislation has happened that we believe that there is no longer a need mm-hmm. or a purpose. Some things may not be the same significant need, like maybe there is not a situation where if I wanted to, my nephew, for instance, just pledged a fraternity, predominantly white fraternity, and he's now part of that organization. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so he now can do that. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that some people would like to join one that's all black for the, for the culture, for the brotherhood, that you only receive connected to a certain ethnicity that you, that you um, mm-hmm. connect with. Mm-hmm. So back to this whole pageant thing, I, I wish we all would understand the whole idea of racism. If you are in the minority of a particular um, in, um, culture, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. be racist. You can be prejudiced, mm-hmm. but you can't be racist. Okay. You know, so um, we need to understand, we need to educate ourselves on that first. Secondly, it, it would be racist to say a white pageant because I dealt with this. I'm a part of this group called BCDI, and it's mm-hmm. um, for the, it's basically for education of, of little black children and putting things in school systems like mm-hmm. books and stuff. Anyway, they were giving out books to just schools. They weren't black books. They were just books, mm-hmm. you know. And there was a farmer's market book. And, you know, half of the book was in English and the other half in Spanish. But it, was just a mo- it, it wasn't a black book. It was just mm-hmm. a farmer's market book. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a little sticker on the back of the book said, um, you know, courtesy of this particular group, and gave it to this one school, and one of the teachers said, when are we going to have our organization, courtesy of, like, the white um, child? And the other teacher, who was also white, said, oh, I'm sorry, because every time I look at any school, I thought that was the organization of white (laughs) (laughs) And so so when, when people have the need to make a fuss about 
people being inclusive or mm-hmm. exclusive, mm-hmm. you forget the reason is because the other people don't have to. Right. Because you already have, have your thing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to call mm-hmm. it white because you already it's, it's already known. white. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's significant when a black person joins a golf club a golf club or whatever, you know, and whatever they're called. Country club. Country club. Mm-hmm. And they say our first this, our first black or mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I'll yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. token. Yeah, token. Yeah. So I say yeah. all that to say that I do think that it's still significant for us to have our own. Our own. I do. Okay. I think it's significant. I wish it wasn't. I thought, you know, we could evolve from that because we got Miss Universe, Miss that. Yeah. I would like to keep it like that. You know, why did we have to just say black? You know, but if they want to categorize they pageant, then it's them. But does that mean a white person can't do it or a biracial person can't be in the pageant? Well, why does a biracial person, why would you say a biracial person? If because they're half black and half white. They're black. But some some biracial people identify just with their white side and don't identify with their black side. Well, if they're then for their white, then they wouldn't apply for it anyway. But some biracial people hmm? don't identify with either. Either or. Yeah. Right. But what, because they're white, will they let them in because they're not fully black? Is it somebody have to be fully black to do it? Because that's what the that's a good question. Amel DeMarco's not Mel DeMarco, the, the, the lady that just, Marco, um, um, I what's her name, down. Um, Yeah. Um, Megan. Megan, Megan Marco. Marco. People are saying now, because she in the category of another black woman that's about to marry royalty. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying, well, she's not black. Well, that's just, that, and, Definitely we can, she and, is and we can talk about that too. But you know when black people or Korean people or Hispanic yeah. people, and I think I'm probably incorrect by saying people after those um, names, <laughs> but... <laughs> Typically, they don't exclude. Mm-hmm. So I might have a black group, but I'm not going to say you can't come in unless you are black. We only recently seen with the whole Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You all remember, it was a few months ago, and someone was like, you can't be a part of this because you're not black. Originally, when we would have black stuff, it was never to exclude people. Mm-hmm. It was to highlight that we are just as good, and if you want to be a part... You know, people used to say interracial couples that the black side of the family was more accepting of the white um, in-laws and mm-hmm. stuff yeah. like that. So when we get to the point when we are excluding, then I think it's not even about race anymore. It's just only about hate. But it, can you get into this pageant and not be black? Are they doing it to highlight or are they doing it just for their black women? For exclusion. I think, uh, I think they are right? doing it for black women, but I don't... We don't know, but I, I think as a byproduct, if someone wanted to be a part of that, and it's the same reason why a white person or of another ethnicity would want to go to an HBCU, mm-hmm. or they would want to join a panhellenic one of the panhellenic organizations, you know, and then they're so. I think I think we can go back and forth all day with it. Hey, you got enough money, you can join anything. Green green is is all <laughs> all around. <laughs> That's true. Well, to see if I can see they should have. The um, rules. The rules, yeah. Up on the website. I mean, who makes the rules for being black? Is it just your skin color? Because some virus people are not. Their skin color is not quote unquote black. Mm-hmm. Are you just looking at perception? Are we looking at deep into, you know, the genes of who's saying who's not black? Remember the lady from um, the NAACP. She was white. She said she she identified <laughs> with black. She identified, but she was white. So she can join that black pageant. Well, then, well, they're not saying. I know. I, I, saying. I think your argument is taking it away from what she was saying. <laughs> they weren't saying if you're white, don't do this. They were saying because traditionally we didn't have, yeah. we started it, and you know, I, I, 
And I, so and like you said, we don't know. But like you said, no, I'm talking about it, it doesn't say that they have. But I don't to think be, they would right. put it up there right. because yeah. that would have yeah. them that would in direct yeah. violation yeah. Exactly. of a whole lot of stuff they wouldn't want to yeah, go into. That's true. That's but right. I think it, I think at their hearts, no, if the I have judges, a, they can say you know. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute, your this butt don't look for. as big as that butt, so I may have to go inside. <laughs> well, I don't know, but having a butt ain't gonna make black because I don't. Oh yeah, because I'm this. You might as well gonna take me out there running. Revoke my car today. <laughs> Take a black car for not having the button. You right, heard it first here at WODU. Give me a prepaid black card. <laughs> what was one of your topics, bro? Um, I saw this over Facebook. It says, if you borrow $50 from a friend and play the lottery and won $80 million, how much would you give your friend? $50. $55. Give him a little bit of interest. Because <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate Paul, it's how because much of you, you I got all this. So, yeah, $50. But you won eighty million off his fifty dollars. No, I'd probably give him a million. Yeah, I give him a good chunk. Because if it wasn't, oh my gosh. Go ahead. I'm not talking about you because we already know you're active. What is it? Love language, and I know how to approach you now. Right. But I'm just saying, in general, have you ever met people who like they get the income taxes and they going through all this stuff they're going to do and they're going <laughs> to give you this money? They're going to give you this. I tell them they all the time. He's like, oh my god, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm like. Finally gets here. <laughs> you got so many things you need to do with That's it. That's right. That you know I Oh my god. My, my mother has bought so many houses and put oh. so many people through college <laughs> by the money that when she hit. Yeah. But if you give back the fifty, you should be even, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but you but still want to be a blessing. Yeah, you want to be a blessing. 55 mm. is good. Yeah. I mean, some people said 55, some people said a million, some people said 50. Yeah. Now, Paula would do a million. She would do a, a million. million. Yeah, I, would I think a million is deserving. He only won 80 million. But, but he gave you the money. You wouldn't even got that. Yeah. $50, yeah. Yeah, sure. Then we got to give you a job back because you wouldn't have the 50 if you hadn't went to work. When does it stop? When does it stop? Just give them that. If you if you got a heart like that, just go and take this fifty dollars. Right. <laughs> no more, no less. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that was uh, one of my topics as well. Okay, so one of the big we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about tithing, and Patricia, I mean Paula and I, we had a conversation with mm-hmm. the church Thanks, Sunday, yeah. and we were talking about tithing. Let's go. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did chime in on that on Facebook. We we were um, talking about tithing. So I ran across this article about what is the black church's role in. Advancing African American wealth. It was kind of a long article, but there were some key points that really caught my eye. The Michigan Chronicle recently took a research reporting that well over $420 billion had been donated to the black church as of 2013. I mean, 2013. They said a figure which (laughs) averages out to at least $12 billion to $13 billion per year. Um, and then they said the Leadership Network releases reports every year on the current trends in megachurches and other data on churches in general. And they find that the largest 7% of churches contain nearly 50% of all churchgoers. So 7% of churches contain nearly 50% of all churchgoers. Furthermore, they find that nearly 100% of church revenue comes in the form of donations, and nearly 60% of said revenue goes to staffing-related costs. How much? 60%? 60% of the money that comes in goes to Mm -hmm. staffing-related costs. Based on this idea, it would be argued that the monies donated to the churches in general, which include the black church, 
are being used mainly to compensate the individuals who are directing, performing, and managing the church's organizations, rather being spent on feed the poor, as and it says Proverbs 22.9 says. So what I'm hearing this to say is that 60% of the money that's coming in, that's basically going to the pastor's salary. Mm. That's going to the people who run the churches. Um, I guess if you have to pay the music staff or whatever, basically to keep the church in operation. Now you're our clergy member on staff. Uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, so this How is what do you I, feel about that? This is what I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's funny because today I've just been giving it to the folks. I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to get angry. And I'm not angry that the church is always on trial because mm-hmm. that's Jesus was was persecuted Perfect, so yeah. mm-hmm. often and it wasn't it wasn't an issue of money and wealth that was the time. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason. But let's take another organization, another group. Let's take cell phones. Let's take mm-hmm. Apple and um, Samsung um, and whatever, all of these groups mm-hmm. and let's do that same that same type of data and I think we will also find that they will have a portion proportionate mm-hmm. to their income and their revenue and their budget for staffing, mm-hmm. for the CEO and all that. I think we'll also find something like 60%, and then the other 40% goes wherever it's supposed to go. Um, so I'm saying that to say I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sick of people thinking that clergy and people of God are supposed to be broke. Mm-hmm. And that we, because then the complaint would be, why am I saved? Why am I a Christian if all I ever see is bad? And money doesn't equal good, don't get me wrong. But the underlying point, that the question that I hear is that the church isn't doing good. And, I, and so that's what, what irritates me. You know, we want to talk about 60% goes to staffing, and we say the pastor. Because really, you said pastor first. That's mm-hmm. all anyone believes. Mm-hmm. They believe that 60% mm-hmm. is going to the pastor. Mm-hmm. They're not believe it's going to... I think it's to... because of the images they're portrayed in the media. I don't, I, I don't, you see I like don't even the think... Late, um, who's the pastor? I don't even think it's just that. With the planes and the... I don't uh, think it's... These, and these are helping professions. These are, long, these are typically positions that yeah, people go into because they have a money motivation. They're almost like social workers and teachers who say they're underpaid. But it seems like people are going to ministry now because you live the big life. No, that's and that's that's where my irritation is, Will, mm-hmm. because I, I don't care if there is a pastor. Put pastors together. Forget mm-hmm. the, the data you just had. Mm-hmm. Let's put all pastors together, and I can guarantee you that you will have a small percentage of these mega money, as we people want to categorize them, pastors. Mm-hmm. Then you will a pastor who is making $30,000 a year. And, yeah. and being a pastor is his second career, you know, or his third career, you know. And so the the church is on trial all the time about why do people in church have money? And then what is and then the question of your article is, mm-hmm. what is the black church doing to promote wealth everywhere else? Mm-hmm. So now we're making church synonymous with people being rich mm-hmm. and being wealth. Mm-hmm. God's version of wealth, version of wealth is how his kingdom is growing. And so I, I think that where there is corruption, where there, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's lies, whatever it is in the church, it will be dealt with. Maybe not for us to see. Maybe it will be for us to see. But I'm, I'm personally becoming annoyed that if you are a pastor and you have a nice car mm-hmm. and your ministry is fruitful, and I'm going to put one church on blast mm. if they're listening, 
Mount Lebanon Church, the Mount in mm-hmm. Chesapeake. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The pastor, the pastor of that church has a, yes, Pastor Bishop Kim Brown. He has a beautiful home. Mm-hmm. They just opened up a few months ago Elder's House, which takes care of girls who have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Now they're doing a boys' version and taking care of boys who have mm-hmm. nowhere to go. They have churches in Charlotte. They have churches on the peninsula. Multiple locations in Virginia mm-hmm. Beach and in Chesapeake. And as much as the money you can, uh, f- you can exploit of what he and his wife have, you cannot say that this church is not in their community and doing things. Mm -hmm. The people in the church, he just announced last Sunday that Dan Bannister has become the first black man on Chesapeake Mm -hmm. to own his own um, car dealership. Mm -hmm. And Dan the man, as as he's professionally known, donated one of those huge buses or vans Mm -hmm. to the church. Mm -hmm. So now they have this extra bus to take people around and do stuff with. They do all of these things, but nobody wants to talk about that. All they want to talk about is that they might do a piece on him. Why does he have so much money? Mm -hmm. Because he has the given principles. Like Paula's saying, she's a given person. Mm -hmm. They give. There was a time that they would take up the offering and the tithe and all that stuff and give whatever was received Mm -hmm. unto someone in the congregation. So I'm I'm sounding angry because I am a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm (laughs) sounding loud. A bit perturbed. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Where's that little birthmark and it gets oh, red and oh, red? Okay, yeah. It does get red when I get when I get angry. Mm. So I don't want and I don't want to come across as this Christian who does not think that we should be talked about. But I think if we heard more of what is really going on and how given transparency. you're more yeah. transparency. In this church, I'm using it as an example because it's very transparent. Mm-hmm. And it's not the only church out there that's doing that. Calvary is like that. Calvary Revival Church. Mm-hmm. There's so many churches that are doing what God has called them to do. But people are so stuck on the people who are in the news. Eddie Long, God bless him, whatever you want to say. But I think we were all able to see the consequences of what may have been wrong Mm -hmm. in his life. Mm -hmm. You know, we know about the, um, if you just follow his story, I'm not going to talk ill of the dead, Mm -hmm. but it was way before his, the sexual misconduct stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, so Let's move away from the narrative of money-grubbing preachers because they do exist. Mm -hmm. There are people out here saying, I'm going to be a pastor because I'm going to get rich. But there are more people who are out here helping and serving our community. So do you think that, um, because I I, I was surprised by the 60-40%. Do you think that needs to to be... um, made aware to the congregation. Now, I've been in a church before where the envelope said, because after something happened, mm-hmm. the envelope said that we deem the right something, I forgot how it was To worded. distribute this money as we see fit. As we see fit. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have the thing that you can check, like it's going towards whatever, yeah. but they see, they have the right to see, you know, put the money where they want to, basically. Right. Well, you know, I, I know that I've been a member of two churches. Mm-hmm. And of those two churches, they have a business meeting at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And in that meeting, they discuss the budget and how all the money is allotted. They may not say specifically who gets paid okay. what. Um, like, they may not say what the secretary's salary is, what the pastor's salary. Mm-hmm. But they say a portion. They go Hold on. on. Hold on. Let's face it, Carl, you're on the air. Praise the Lord, everybody. Jesus. Okay. 
Right. How are you, sir? <laughs> I am well. I am just so grateful to be on the air here at Let's Face It Radio. Mm-hmm. Rhonda, how are you doing? I'm good, but I miss your face. Exactly. Caprice, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? Oh, I am blessed and highly favored sitting on my sofa waiting on Jesus. <laughs> Carl, did you have something to say about the question? <laughs> no, I didn't have anything to say about that question. That question don't really interest me. And then Ronald took it to left field. She then brought up the mouth. I don't, I, you know, I don't get into all that. But <laughs> I just wanted to call and just congratulate you on another season finale of Let's Face It Radio. Thank you. You Thank are you so much. doing an exceptional job. Kavon, how are you doing over there, sir? I'm great. I'm great. How about you? <laughs> I am excellent, about Paula. Paula. Oh. No, I didn't forget about Paula. She's last but not least. (laughs) (laughs) The last shall be first. Thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. Well, always. I'm always going to be here to call in. I'm I'm enjoying the conversation. So y'all keep it going. Thank you so much. And and my church will be coming up soon, and I'll be letting y'all know. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. He's so stupid. Crazy. Crazy, it's crazy, so crazy, crazy, crazy. Okay. But, but look, what about the small churches? I go to a small churches uh-huh. church, and my pastor drives a Mercedes, mm-hmm. so her congregation can't afford to pay for her Mercedes, which is fine. She does in the community. She does what we need to do. So should she not drive a Mercedes because her husband pays for it? Oh, right. Her husband pays for it. Her husband pays for it. You said the congregation. No, I said earlier. her congregation cannot afford to pay oh, because uh, we go to a small okay. church. Okay. So, That's what you meant to say. Yeah. But you yes, said. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Her said congregation one. does not so pay like, for it. Okay. Her husband pays uh-huh. for it. So well, she no, still drives a nice want. car. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So should pastors get ridiculed because well, they want to drive does, nice do they cars? Work? Do they work? My, pa- my, my, my pastor's a, a woman. Mm-hmm. Her husband works. Mm-hmm. Her husband works. And, yes, the money we do collect, go to the drummer, go to the lights, mm-hmm. go to the heat. It, it has the building has to be paid for. Oh yeah, absolutely. So therefore, when the money comes in, you do have the right because it may have to go to um, lights this month. It may have to go to the phone that work. It may have to go to the Wi-Fi that everybody want to be on their phone when they in church. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it does go different places. But she is somebody that's that drives her car and her husband pays for it. Mm-hmm. But people still think, oh, the church is supporting her. No, the church, the church depends on the side. Do not support everybody. But here's the thing. Well, hold on. Let me let me go into this real quick. Um, and you can comment on both. Because we actually only have four more minutes before I guess calls in. But I want the second part of the question was, do you think it's wise or do you think it's responsible to pay your tithes, as the Bible commands us to, when our bills are due? Well, if you do no, it the right way. The word says, and if you believe in the word, the word says pay your tithes and give offering. He didn't ask for you. Please give it. He said, pay your tithes. So if you are going to according to the word and you believe the word, you will pay them. But he also said, take 10% off the first before you do anything else with it. So the D- thing, I think people get question? in trouble. Yeah, people get in trouble when they, when they says, oh, all I got left is my bill money. Should I pay it? No. He says, pay it first. If they would if they would have did the first thing first, then they wouldn't have been paying it off their bill money because they would have paid it off the top. Well, I think it. Simply, this is. Wait a minute, hold on. I don't think you answered my question. She, she's, she's saying you not. We usually pay what's left, and then say, "Oh, I can't pay." If it you because get your my paycheck, bill. if I get my and paycheck, you have just enough in your paycheck to pay your bills. You're saying you should take your ties out before you pay your bills. You take your ties out as soon as you get that check. Yes. Okay. 
So and you live off what's left in your check. Yes. So you're saying that. So what he's saying is that I have my check is five hundred dollars, and I have just enough to pay my lights, my water, get gas, food, and everything. And this is all I have. So you're saying from the five hundred dollars that I have, I need to pay my tithe first, so then I don't have enough money to pay my lights. So when they cut my lights off, who's gonna pay? Because when I go to the church. They ain't want to give me no money to pay my lights. Because they may say that they don't have money in the funds to to help me. You're going to eat out one day that week. (laughs) Here's the thing. See, that's the thing. That's what they always say. Well, you have enough money. That burns me up. You can't afford that. You have enough money. You you can't pay tax, but I bet you'd be going out with your friends to Chick-fil-A, whatever. But the thing of it is, is that if I decide to do that, I decide to do that. But I'm paying my bills first. So the question is, has not been answered. I have $500. All of that is going to my bills. You do what's best Sh- for you. Okay, this I think that for me, if we are talking about tithe, we are talking about um, faith. Tithe is, is faith. And it is a requirement. If you are a believer, it's a requirement. There's no way around it. If you don't do it, you don't do it. If you do it, you do it. If you are a believer, we are instructed that we are supposed to tithe. And that's 10%. Whether you 10% over gross, 10% over net, whatever the mm-hmm. case is, it's 10%. If I have a $500 check, then I need to be tithing $50 from that $500 mm-hmm. check. And the faith is, if I say I believe in a God that will have my back, that God will take care of me, it might mean I'm paying this bill and this bill comes up short, but maybe I'll have a grace period. Maybe someone will bless me and decide to pay the bill. Maybe the bill will be lower than what I expected. Maybe somehow I'll get fallen and they'll I'll fall between the cracks and they won't turn my lights off or they won't recognize or they'll give me put me, they will say that you realize that you were eligible for our um, budget plan or whatever. It's a faith issue. Mm-hmm. You have to believe that God said, I will take care of all of your needs. And if you are at that point where all the money you have is div- it's what exact whatever your bills are, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately for those who don't believe this, yes, you are sacrificing that portion for a bill, but you are rewarded for your faith. Okay. You know when our first caller is calling in? And um, our first caller actually is Joey Ortiz. Joey Ortiz became a star on the gridiron and was recruited by the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and offered an athletic scholarship until tragedy befell him. Shortly after he was offered a college scholarship, he was the victim of a near-fatal pedestrian hit-and-run accident. Struck by a car traveling up to 70 70 miles Mm. per hour, inches between life and death, Joy has an incredibly moving story with the insight and passion from a true, relentless spirit of a survivor that has defied, defied all odds, serving as a catalyst of hope as he shares his message of healing, perseverance, redemption, and triumph. Please help me welcome to the show Mr. Joy Ortiz, and he hung up, so <laughs> he's going to call right back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait for did you, Joy. Yes. Did, did you want to hold Oh, yes. so, you going to hold your mule until it comes back? Well, let me ask my question. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the same question I asked last week. So since you Was it last week? Last yeah, week. okay. So I'm going to ask the question again. Yeah. So even though it says that you have to tithe, we are we have that established. Is that say? Did you call back? 
No. Is that saying that um, if I don't and I still love God and I go to church and I serve in the church, but I don't type, so because I don't do that, are you saying to me that God's not going to love, is going to love me less and I'm not going to be blessed? Is it only if I type that I'm going to be blessed? So... Well, those are two questions. Love and blessing are two different things. God is God loves us all, and we and so His love is not predicated. I said love me less. Go ahead. Well, no, He's not going to love you less because God's love for us is not predicated on anything that we do. His our obedience to God does open up or close certain things that would be available to us. So yes, but He knows my heart. He knows what it looks like, and and I, I this is something that I can't do. Are you saying, that's the question, are you saying that because I'm not able to do this, but I am able to go to church and be an usher, serve on this, do whatever the church needs, clean up after everybody leaves, is that not enough? I guess the hard reality, Paula, is that you're you're comparing apples and oranges. He didn't require you to be on the usher board. He doesn't Mm -hmm. require you to, uh, what he requires is, simply for us to be obedient to what he's called us to do. The tithing is one of those things. If you do not do it, if you believe you are un, unable, that's a faith issue. That means that you believe that your inability is greater than his ability to help you through whatever that is. Hi, Joy. This is Will. How are you, sir? Oh, how are you doing? I called uh, at... Uh the designated time, but there was no answer, so I was scurrying oh. around trying to see if I had the wrong number. No I problem. apologize. No problem, no problem. I was actually introducing you at that time, but thank you so much for calling into the show. We really appreciate it. Um, and I was giving the people... Oh, you a got bit. it. Thanks for having me. No problem. I was sharing a little bit about your story, but for those individuals who don't know exactly what happened and what you've been through, can you share a little bit of your, your testimony, sir? Um, you want to start at the beginning, the middle, or the end? Uh, work backwards. Inform us. Just inform us. Informal? Well, you ready? Yes, we're ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started in the beginning. Um, you know, great-grandparents, up, you know, up in Eureka, I was born there, um, two years old, that kid that was trying to find a way to fall through a sliding glass window without getting a scratch. <laughs> And it just kind of, it kind of built momentum from there. We moved shortly thereafter to Sacramento, California. You know, just kind of finding our way, a young family, you know, drug addict dad, alcoholic dad, um, never home kind of thing. My mom, very uh, hardworking, loving mom. Moved from that area back to, uh, into Rancho Cordova, which was a blessing in so many ways because that was the actual first national powerhouse of high school football. Okay. And um, but at that time, I was nowhere near the football field. I was only five years old. At that time, my dad, who's from the Bronx, which was a good thing because I've been a lifelong Yankee fan. He took me to the World Series like, a few years later. But moving back to 1975, he, um, <laughs> my mom was, I think, at work. He had two jobs. Mm-hmm. And um, he decided that, I don't know, I didn't even remember. I think it might have been I didn't get him a beer or something like that. But he... <laughs> uh, took my clothes off and pinned me in the corner by the front door and started beating me with a horse whip. He was a jockey. He was like 5'2". My mom, of course, 5'11". And it was like, I think it was like the fifth or sixth month, it felt like. I mean, it was comfortable at that point. Very, 
troubling, but it, at the end, it was like I finally looked at him. I'm five. He's, I don't remember what age, but he was five foot three. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, and I'm like, dude, dude this ain't working. <laughs> and, but I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time, but that moment of having to go through that actually was a catalyst, you know, the catalyst to make me relentless. Okay. I found out in March of what that year this meant, but from Michael Jordan's lone trainer and my new friend, but um, eight years old, I that eight-year-old kid running around the neighborhood with Lester Holt from NBC Nightly News five doors down and my stolen BMX bike across his front lawn. I think with my third beer in my hand, he didn't catch me. <laughs> but uh, we're family friends still. <laughs> and um, so... And, and then I just, all my neighborhood friends were four and five years older than me. I'm starting to drink one beer, turn into two, three, four, five. And the store neighbor who was 14 beat up my I'm eight. I wasn't having anything to do with that. I think I drank six beers that day. Mm. I put a beating on him that the, na- the neighborhood still talks about. Well, it turned out to be a good thing, but also kind of a bad thing. And a, a long, vicious cycle of me pushing the envelope, right. never getting in trouble. But always finding a way out because the gentleman that handcuffed me in 1978 as an eight-year-old became this guy in this department, this guy in the department, this guy in the department. That's after I beat up his son, his grandson on the football field as the littlest football player. He loved it. He loved it. He loved it. Mm-hmm. He was the same guy that handcuffed me. He kept going up to law enforcement. I kept beating people up on the football field, sometimes at the park, at the river, mm-hmm. downtown at the one time. <laughs> old sack with the lake and a football riot on the receipt <laughs> and I kept getting away with it and I, but I kept getting better on the football field mm-hmm. but as far as I was moving I was I'm sorry go ahead no go ahead you there no we're, we're, we're listening no we're listening <laughs> we're, listen. we're listening all this beating up so yeah we're listening <laughs> to the story go ahead. I know, just, <laughs> yeah. ride, keep riding it gets a lot better so anyway around 12 Oh, let's go for a walk around the block. Okay, it's my first joint. Oh, this is cool. I like it. Who doesn't like weed back then? I think a lot of people did. So I kept getting better and better and better. I stopped going to school less and less and less. I started getting away with more and more and more and drinking more and more beer. 20 years old, six MVPs on running teams. We barely threw the ball ever, but my 28 yards of catch, winning games while I'm crying and laughing because I got cussed out by Hall of Fame football coach Max Miller in the locker room who told me I could take off my recruiting letters, humiliating me and wipe my butt with them. Okay. There's eight seconds left. Kick the ball to me. Game over. Now who's <laughs> off? I just kept slam dunking because at that point I had two casts. Now I have one and a half. I'll get to that point in a second. Not paying attention. Never going to school. Taking both lunches. Leaving school. Doing whatever I wanted because I was that guy that the system kept going, you're getting away with it. We need to win football games. We need this. We need that. We need championships. You do whatever you want. It goes back to the same guy that handcuffed me. It kept going to this guy, that guy. It kept going to the football guys that became cops, detectives, CIA agents, FBI agents, the mayor, the governor, the governor's secretary. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And so go ahead. You beat them up. Go home. Go get another. When the cell phones came out, free cell phones. I had a shoe contract as a junior in high school mm-hmm. because I figured out how to, my mom begging me to not play, mom, pay for the shoes, be quiet, I know what I'm doing. After we won, I'm sitting in my bedroom, I think on my fifth year as a junior in high school, mm-hmm. I'm bleeding from my hand, I go, I go, you know what, 
I need a new pair of shoes for next game, and none of my friends are going to know how I did it. Watch this, Julie. I took my shoes apart, Will. I took them back at the second lunch on Monday. I said, hey, bro, these came apart. Oh, no problem. What's your name? Joey. Ortiz. Oh, Ortiz, yeah, okay, here's your next shoe. Well, guess what I did, Will? You kept You're going to love this. I had, a, I had a shoe contract as a junior because after the second win, I'm sitting in my room. I think I smoked a joint in my room. You're not supposed to do that. I drank eight beers. I took the shoes. I took the shoes apart in the exact same place. I took them back to the exact same man. By the fourth game, my shoes were waiting for me on the counter. I was thinking, I didn't have to show receipt the first time or the last time. All my friends kept wondering how I got shoes. I didn't tell them until six months ago. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's how you get a shoe. <laughs> you guys are wondering how I had clean clothes. It's called run home from practice in cleats. Wash them real fast, save a box of macaroni and cheese, four beers, a Gatorade, run right back to practice. I don't have clean, I don't have four pairs of clean clothes. I have what's called a brain. I'm running home from practice. You guys are playing video games, acting stupid. I'm running home, power washing, power drying, running back to practice. I still beat you to practice with a hangover. <laughs> That's not a good thing, but I'm relentless. My problem was, Will, my dark side, which we are all born with, that's a gift. It took me 39 years later when I took a year off from work and I was on mile 721 walking around Rancho Cordova. Mm -hmm. People thought I was rich. People thought I was rich. I was poor, but I forgot that I had bought a disability policy in 2005 running through the break room of the biggest Dodge dealership in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. I ate someone's sandwich. I down the water. He says, you got disability insurance? I said, no, but I got a raging hangover. She goes, you need one? I ran the miles. I got a check. When you're making too much money and you haven't checked your bank account because you cannot make yourself happy with extra clothes, extra cars, free shoes, popcorn, waving to get into Kings games, leaving your car all over the place, you see this is going. It's a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get enough of anything ever until this would happen. So how did you spiral out of control? How did all this get to a point where... You got well. Uh, let me let me tell you. It gets better. It gets really better because this is what saved my life. Let me back up to April 19, 1991. Mm -hmm. I just got back from UNLV. It was my first of only five recruiting trips I could take. I'd never been to Las Vegas. I looked at the camp. I looked at the campus for probably three minutes. I almost got ran over by uh, Anderson Hunt in a BMW. You're not supposed to have BMWs in college. <laughs> Right? I got back to Sacramento. I'm sorry, Anderson, I just told on you. <laughs> he knows me. I got back to Sacramento with my head in the sand about 40 feet and my head in the clouds because I already am figuring I'm going to Vegas. I already watched practice. I can punk him. I can kick his butt in the football field. I'll annihilate him. I'll show up six hours before practice. I was only doing three at that point. I was doing four workouts of the day, drinking a 12-pack, no steroids, eight Gatorades, 40 vitamins, sometimes 30 Vicodin to get back on field. I never missed a game. Several times I couldn't walk on Wednesday. Wow. And I annihilated people. I annihilated people Friday night. <laughs> I wasn't on crutches. I broke them over my knee in the locker room. <laughs> and I motivated my team. <laughs> I went out in the field. Some of the people I ran over became detectives, cops, robbers. Some went to prison, some died. Some became CIA agents. Mm -hmm. Whatever, whatever, whatever. So moving back, I get to Sacramento. I'm not paying attention. It's unfortunate, but I had two girlfriends that night. They didn't get hit by a car, 
and I got smacked not by a linebacker from Oak Park where I first lived, South Sac, where you're not supposed to go, Folsom, that's now the new powerhouse because of Intel, not Branch of Cordova because of Mayfair Air Force Base. When I lived there, when we were dropping bombs and saving the world, mm-hmm. we had we had the Strategic Air Command B-52s, 40 of them loaded to take off of Russia at a moment's notice. I hung out and drank a beer in one of them. That's not a good thing either, but if you know who to call, you can get there. I knew how to get there, and you're on a call, I still want to call. That's a problem, too. Don't push your envelope. I was pushing my envelope the night I drank a gallon of jungle juice, which you're not supposed to drink any jungle juice. Mm-hmm. Smoked a joint, wasn't paying attention. I got hit by a 50 to 70 mile an hour Honda Accord. This is where it gets good because it saved my life 17 years later when I fly down the middle of the road land on my back 75 feet away, I'm dead. Well, by the grace of God, who I didn't know one existed at that point because I was sprinting from him, Sacramento Metro Fire Department flies as fast as they can, scoops me off the pavement, the life flight helicopter at 9,000 miles an hour, takes me to UC Davis, 18 major injuries. When I woke up from my coma three days later, I didn't know that I had a cracked cranium, a bruised brain, a cracked orbital, six knocked out teeth. I was nearly decapitated. I broke my hand. I broke my leg in two spots, cracked crank up, excuse me, I said cracked cranium, cracked kneecap, torn PCL, which I still have, torn meniscus, which I still have. I lost half of my inner left calf. My best friend, Joey Ironman, helped put me on the helicopter. He runs Folsom Prison with my leg facing the wrong way. My pelvis broke two places. Three broken ribs, but my spirit was untarnished. I didn't know it at the time when I woke up out of that coma. I had one second to decide who I was going to be for the rest of my life, which saved me in the end. When the doctor runs over and says, are you okay? I said, I looked at my body. I looked at the lights real quick. Obviously, I'm in major pain. I said, when am I playing football again? He said, you're never playing football again. I don't know if we're allowed to use that kind of language that I use that night in the trauma unit or four days later after I had ripped every tube out of my arm they kept putting me in. They kept strapping me down. I kept unstrapping myself. I was mean to some nurses, every doctor. I threw everything I could at somebody. Evander Holyfield sent my mom five magazines. That's another story. Mm-hmm. I got kicked out of the trauma unit. I sat in a lazy boy chair for one day. I think I, I stopped counting at about 40 Vicodin. I woke up, drank a beer, went out of the garage, cut my own cast off, mm-hmm. took my sister's car keys. I went to the gym that it was kind of my gym. It didn't have my name on it, if you know what I mean. And they tried to say, go home. We're calling the cops. This is call somebody. I don't care who you call. I'm going to work out. I was sitting on the weight bench. A guy named Jack Youngblood of the LA Rams was the Serbs general manager, which was the Canadian football league team at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there in Cordova football gear with my head between my legs, warped out of my mind. And Mr. Jack Youngblood taps me on the shoulder and he says, because I forgot to tell you, Will, I broke my bladder too. I think I forgot to tell you that. Why do you have a catheter bag over your shoulder with crutches? What in the hell are you doing to the gym? I looked at him. I'll never forget. I said, I don't know, man. I'm trying to figure out. What's your name? I'm Jack Youngblood. I said, I know you played with a broken leg. I like the rounds. He says, can I work out with you? I said, I got up on one leg, put my crutches on there. All of a sudden, Marcus Allen, who had a minor league TV show, now he's major league, comes over and says, what's your name, son? Why are you in the gym? 
So we're all three working out, and it built momentum. Kenny Jones from Cordova High School comes over and says, can I train you? Somebody's got to do something because i got to get back on that football field. He said, I ain't never playing again. It ain't about me. It's about, it's in, it's about me. I take my crutch. I threw it across the gym. Sometimes I'm nice. Sometimes I'm extra nice. Sometimes I blow up my landing craft. That's the name of my third training manual. It's a 36-page, has nothing to do with me or war. It's about us arguing over popcorn until you blast me in the face with the biggest box of popcorn and I back down. Okay. But no, <laughs> your story, your story is just amazing. The depth of well, everything that you've better. been through. But better. we we, def- we definitely <laughs> have to get. Yeah, we're gonna need to get to some of these questions. So, though. We're gonna because I think there's a lot of information so, that you can share with these questions. So okay, let's give get started. Thirty seconds. I'll wrap. I'll wrap it up. Get, I'll okay, wrap it up in thirty seconds. Well, go ahead. I marched back on the football field in five months. I didn't miss a practice. I was probably seventy percent when I took thirty Vicodin before the practice. Mm. If I took twelve, I was probably sixty percent. The comeback was hard. The mental, the physical part was hard. I learned how to compartmentalize pain. I put myself on the beach of the Costa Rica, which I still have not been because the only woman in the world at that point that didn't come say hi to me was from Costa Rica, the prettiest girl in town. So while I'm strapped to the table, bending and crying, I'm thinking of walking on the beach with her. I haven't seen her since. However, I did what I had to do, okay? That moment saved my life when 17 years later, selling more cars than anybody in the nation, half asleep, sometimes I can come home for a week, doing pushing the envelope even farther in the wrong direction, swimming to get the curtain farther. My wife, then wife, left me. I walked over to the refrigerator after drinking from 8 to 38, more than anybody should ever drink ever. Free drugs delivered faster than a pizza sometimes in the hood or anywhere else I created, invented it. I couldn't get enough of anything. Finally, she left me. I walked over to the refrigerator. I looked at one beer. I used to drink three beers two blocks up the street or six blocks down the street or every corner. That's, I couldn't get enough. So I said, you know, I'm done. I, I went over to the couch. I sat there for a minute. I fell asleep. I woke up the next morning. I'm an admitted knucklehead at that point. Joey. I woke up. I said, I feel pretty good. Baby. Mr. Ortiz, uh, this is Rhonda. I'm one of um, Will's co-hosts. Um, from all of the things that you've shared with us tonight, all of the tragedy, some of the things you could say, I guess, um, <laughs> you worked through a, a lot of things, some where you may have caused your pain, and then some things that have happened that happened to you, with like with that turning point when you got hit by the car. Of all of the tragedies yeah. you've gone through, stuff that you did not see coming, or the things that you carelessly lived your life, and obviously now you're a you can testify that even though you went through all of that and you could, ha- what you did could have squandered your future. What could you give our right. listeners who are tuning in right now? What words of advice could you give them about how to move on beyond what your past has given you? Well, when I realized, I think I was on mile 475 around Rancho Cordova, that the only problem I've ever had in my whole life was me. I removed the lie mask, which I walked around with for 38 years and seven months mm-hmm. or six months. I was the only lie. I was the biggest lie because I kept lying to myself that sooner or later it was going to get better. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till tomorrow. But my greatest attribute was telling that doctor what I told him and then figuring out a way instead of waiting around for a master plan because that master plan never happens. It's called luck. It's called choosing when you go to the liquor store to get a winning lottery ticket. Those days never come. You create your own luck, which is being tenacious, brave, passionate, 
relentless. Mr. Tim Grover loves me. Michael Jordan loves trainer. Because I'm nuts, just like him, Michael, Kobe, Dwayne, Hakeem Olajuwon. We work out hard. But it took me a long time, the first 38 years of my childhood, to figure out that I was my only problem and I was the biggest lie I could tell myself. Quite frankly, the biggest lie that I could tell Jesus Christ, that's another story, six months later. I was lying to him, most importantly, forever and ever and ever and ever. And once I got out of my own way, life became easy because... I was always beating people to practice by an hour, beating people to the basketball court by three hours, but I was my biggest problem. I was my only problem. And instead of sitting around, because I have a lot of friends around Sacramento, why you do this, why you do that, why you do this, I could tell you a story, you'll laugh so hard, you'll hang up the phone, <laughs> so with, and you'll call me right back. <laughs> with, with all that, I'm wrapping up to this last question. The question I have, how you doing? This is Caprice, another co-host. The question I have, you did a lot of drugs. Do you still do anything? Do you, have you given up drinking, smoking? Because that seemed like the one problem as well. Let me tell you the daily regimen. Let me tell you the daily regimen. I wake up, I drink um, water. I take a vitamin. I have a fruit smoothie. I went vegan six months ago because my 42-year-old Vietnamese wife had cancer for the second time. I've lost 60 pounds since then, but that's not the personal best. I lost 100 pounds in three months when I got a phone call in 2009 asking me, Joey Ortiz, you're dummy. We heard you quit drinking four months ago. Do you want to play football? Yes. I weighed 325 that day. Between 10 o'clock that night and 10 o'clock the next night, I went to the gym, not twice, but 11 times. I spent more on Gatorade and gum than my free gym membership, <laughs> but it was just a test. I had to prove that I could do it some for myself instead of to myself, which is the reality of life. Life doesn't happen to you. When I figured out on mile 1875, mm -hmm. it happens for you. Exactly. So you can either, you can either, because it's not, it's going the world's going to keep spinning right now, whether, you know, this happens or that happens. It's, it's how you perceive it. A lot of people perceive me as a failure. I think that's funny because I subscribe to the 80-20 rule. 80% of me is self-inspired. The other 20% of me says, you know what, doctor, oh, you're going to tell me this? I can't do it? That's why I'm going to do it. I shouldn't do that? That's why I do it. Mm -hmm. I can't go to the gym twice a day? How about 11 times? Okay. That's, that's a good attitude to have. Friends, I asked all my, exactly. my friends to meet me at the gym the other day uh -huh. at 321. I walked there. No one showed up. I worked out with a crackhead. Mm -hmm. I got him off drugs. I walked him up the street to Denny's. My girlfriend works there, free food. I gave her a $30 tip. I made him listen to Tim Grover. I talked to him for 30 minutes. I pushed him in the gym. I showed him love, compassion, which I found out the best investment in the world on mile 2,481. I was number 81. Is in so, people. Joey, not Bitcoin. We, Mr. Ortiz, we have ran out of time, but I know that you wrote a book called Correcting a Reckless Life. Where can we find that book or any yes. other books that you've written? And how can we follow you on our social on social media or websites? How can we stay connected and hear more or read more of your story? Well, Correcting a Reckless Life is on Amazon. Uh, that's a whole other story. Right now it opens at $1,200 up to $2,800. But I can't benefit the world through that. And I know we're running out of time. The second one and the third one are both on Amazon. The second one, Tim Grover, Love Me. I sent him accidentally 14 emails in March because I kept forgetting to tell him something. He thought that was funny. He called me back five times. I left my building at the credit union. They thought I quit and went home because I locked myself out of the building in the rain talking to Michael Jordan's trainer. <laughs> I will laugh about that forever. That is funny. <laughs>
he was laughing. I walked back in the building soaking wet. They wanted to know why I was smiling. I made them wait for an hour and a half till I told them. <laughs> Do you have a way that people can follow you? I just, you have a website, correct? Yeah, joeyortiz.com. Now, can I end before we run out of time? You know what I figured out on mile 3,575? The greatest drug ever invented is not cocaine. It's not meth. It's not weed. It's not Vicodin. It's nothing. It will always forever and forever will be laughter. It gets you through pain, turmoil, torture, headaches, broken toes, broken fingers, a broken hand six times, three broken ribs. A cracked cranium. I told you a list of injuries. I laughed at it. I still think it's funny because actually it saved my life. Boom. Period. Dot com. Awesome. Put in parentheses. I laughed my way through it. I think it's funny. It saved my life. Mm -hmm. I cried for the first time when I got back from Buffalo on my movie trailer. I cried for three seconds. Awesome. Now you can sit around and cry. Now here's. The, let me leave it with this before you cut me off. Everybody's going to hate on everybody. Yes. They hate on the French uh -huh. girl working 15 hours a day uh -huh. with a work permit. They hate on the 92-year-old working at Walmart. And unfortunately, Tim Grover told me there's people that don't like Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. How could that be possible? Very. All right. Wow. Jordan, man. Yeah. Inspiring story. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your information and your, your story. We Thanks. appreciate you it. Living miracle. And yeah. can I share? Did you guys like basketball? What'd you say? You guys like basketball? Yeah. No. Okay. No? Okay. No, well, no, if you no. ever want to go to a Kings game, let me know. We'll sit on the floor. Awesome. Okay. Right. I think I might like Thank it. You. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Have, have a happy holidays, too. All right. You too. Merry Christmas. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 What did you say? Which one did you say? So we need a commercial. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, we were talking about the tithing. You're bad. <laughs> you were, you were I, I, was, I, I think that she um, she did answer. answer the question. Okay, okay. All right. Did you? What was you going to say? Yeah, another one. Um, I was just um, reading not. an article today about. Okay. It says um, a high school principal was reassigned after discovering that 100 percent of the 2017 senior class graduated in spite of illiteracy and pa and poor attendance. So she was reassigned, and she was upset about being reassigned because the the whole graduating class was illiterate. Was illiterate? Well, how did that happen? Oh, mm. uh, yeah. And she was reassigned because they was upset that they still... I think she was upset that they still graduated the class. She didn't want them to graduate. And the class still graduated despite... Oh, she the, wanted the them. principal... The principal. Okay, I thought she made a decision to pass all of them. Me too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. she, okay. Okay. I want to know what y'all thought about it. Um, when you being in a, in the school system, do you see some kids that are don't need to go to the next grade, and you think people still are passing them? Well, um, do you all watch the show Blackish? Mm -mm. It's it's a really good show, but one of the the things that they do they. They have an they have an educational piece where they put a fact out there that you may not know, mm -hmm. or reinforce <coughs> facts that we might know, and they talked about how when integration first um, took place, that the beauty in it, the diversity brought um, test scores through the roof, and um, uh, across the board, you know, we saw the literacy rate go up and all of these things. And but the whole idea of the Brown versus the Board of Education of separate 
but equal was not equal was only supposed to be a temporary fix. They were never supposed to be always integrate integrated. And so what happened when it when that expired, they systematically started desegregation. Mm-hmm. And so then when we found schools that had um, the majority of black or whatever, then funding would go away and stuff like that. And of course, test scores in, in different schools would go down. Um, so why do I say all that? I say all that to say that as far as education is concerned, with the left, no child left behind and SOLs, it's very likely with no child left behind that there are children who are going to be passed to the next grade without um, their literacy rate uh, mm-hmm. being um, intact, without it being mm-hmm. discovered or or it being ignored. And but then on the flip side are the SOL with the with yeah. if you don't pass these standards of learning then it doesn't matter if you are an honor roll student. If you fail an SOL, you're not going to graduate. So, you know, I think there's two sides of that argument, but it's a huge disservice if we are graduating Mm -hmm. illiterate people. So I found the article. It says, Last year, NPR and several news outlets reported that a chronically low-performing Washington, D.C. high school has managed to graduate 100% of their senior class and sent all of them to college. But a recent joint investigation by WAMU and NPR revealed that those Balu High School students hardly attended classes, were unable to pass basic English and math standardized tests, and that the teachers and administrators awarded substantial bonuses for hiding that reality. Now the principal, Utundi Reeves, has been reassigned while the matter is being investigated. So basically what they're saying is these kids never, maybe they were stuck under that, you know, accredited or trying to, or, you know, if you don't get past these kids, the school going to close down. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they passed these kids, but during the investigation, they realized that a lot of them didn't come to school. They wasn't passing tests, but they managed to graduate. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Well, it tells us how it happened. So they, they had the gave investigation, folk, exactly. They gave them bonuses to lie about about the results, about lie about success. You know, my, my daughter is in a magnet um, program, and she, me and one of her teachers got into it because... She wasn't grasping the material, but she was managing to get a C. Mm-hmm. And so the teacher was like, she's passing. What's the big deal? What do you mean, what's the big deal? I need her to understand Suddenly. what she's doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> she said, I know you don't like a C. It's not about me not liking a C. Mm-hmm. My kid, everything that they're doing is is the foundation for the next thing they have mm-hmm. to do. But I think it's not before I could personally attack her and say she doesn't care. We've got to this thing where people are so motivated towards these standardized tests that, that they are teaching to test and not teaching exactly. yeah, yeah, to, that's exactly. to material mm-hmm. anymore. And so it's it's a horrible situation because some of those teachers may have felt they had no choice to keep a job. A lot of teachers saying they're leaving because they, right. they, they yeah. can't in, yeah. um, these incorporate teachers, any type of creativity. Right. They're, Especially they're the teaching sector. the test. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They some said, of those, but the children, some children learn differently. Exactly. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the teachers don't have time to really way they should, especially for those children that learn differently. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have everybody, we got 90% of the class that learns this way, but we have 10% that learns that way. Um, you can't even create a curriculum to help them learn. You have to take them out of a class, out of the class, to go into a smaller class, So, which makes them feel different. Mm-hmm. It's just because they need to take... If, if my daughter says, if you give a test and you teach her one way, and say, okay, 
when this car goes down the street, the light's going to turn green. Mm-hmm. So you go and take the, when you go to make the test, you change the question up to make it look different. But to them, that's not what you said. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, just say to me, I don't think that, because uh, it tripped up a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. One, one of my girlfriends is going through that right now with her daughter. Oh, so now she has, what is it, dyslexia. Or mm-hmm. She has this. Mm-hmm. No, this is the way you taught her. So when she goes to read it, she wants it to see it the same way because all you want to know is does she know it. Mm-hmm. That's right. all you want to know. So yeah. just, just ask the question and see if they can answer it. They said these teachers, they were receiving bonuses up to $30,000 for passing students yeah. who were clearly not performing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them missed 90 or more questions on a test, but they was, the teachers were still pressured to give them a 50 and not a zero. So that school, I think, was under pressure. They had to do what they had to do. But was it right? High school, they graduated all high school. I think, I think that pressure, that's not unique to that school. Yeah. yeah I think that's are. all over. That's something that needs to be mm-hmm. handled on a, on a national level. Yeah, but um, our next guest is coming oh, up. I, I, this was first someone who I really, I, I intended for the show just to have one guest, but because of some goals that I have, and I know some other people who <laughs> I'm friends with um, have for um, 2018, um, <laughs> this was a person that came across my desk. He's a TEDx speaker, and he helps people who want to share their story, and mm-hmm. I know a couple of times we've talked about 2018. That's whole, my whole purpose is right. mm-hmm. actually sharing, publishing my story and sharing my story. Right. Amen. So he's going to come on. His name is Corey. Corey. He's a multiple-time TEDx speaker. My brother's a TEDx speaker as well. What is it? Um, he's going to tell us. All I know is that when I see it, I'm like, oh, they're really big. And actually, he's calling in right now. Um, so we're going to go ahead and welcome to the show Mr. Corey Poirier, I believe. How are you doing, sir? Fantastic. How are you doing today? Did I pronounce your last name correct? Yeah, you did it as good as I can. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, sir, for coming on the show. I was just telling them um, that you are a multiple-time TEDx speaker, and one of my co-hosts asked, what is TEDx? I've seen it. I know how to respect it. My brother, he, he has given a talk for them before. Can you briefly just summarize or explain what TEDx is? Yeah, so it's it's actually there's there was a conference called and still is a conference called TED, which essentially was a bringing together of thought leaders, people in the technology industry, et cetera, et cetera, and they decided to bring together a lot of different speakers from different walks of life to share their stories and messages, and that sort of became the TED conference. And then what happened is a whole bunch of different. Um, local cities became uh, actually applied to have the right to be able to offer TEDx experiences in their city. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now what happens is they bring together these conferences that people speak at and share what they call ideas for spreading. So it's just really a bringing together of various speakers to talk on different subjects in different cities across North America. Okay. So, and what are some of the key mistakes that you see beginning speakers make? Beginning speakers, really, it, it comes back to not being prepared, not practicing enough, not knowing their material or content, and and essentially showing up and and not being ready, if you will. So I think it's just a matter of uh, there's a great quote I heard one time years ago that said, "If you uh, being really good means that you make it look like no work at all has went into it," right. and I think new beginning speakers aren't at that level yet. 
So, uh, welcome again to the show, uh, Corey. This is Rhonda. So it's it's also it's always awesome to be able to to use like you just said, do what you love and inspire people, help people, and speaking is definitely something that a lot of us here at the show like to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so jumping right into it, what would be the number one way? to uh, secure paid bookings and, I guess, promote yourself so that you can get those bookings? So it sounds strange, but I always feel that if you want to be a speaker, you have to get and speak. So the number one way to get paid bookings that I've learned over the years is to get non-paid bookings. And here's the sort of the, the, the key thing is I put together this evaluation form that I hand out after my talks, and on that evaluation form, it has the words, uh, do you know of another business or organization that could use a similar presentation? And I get that in front of the people that literally just need me speak, and it reminds them to take action, whether they're looking for a speaker or they know somebody who is. And I get more of my quote-unquote leads from non-paid speaking engagements than anything else. So I really believe that's one of the number one ways. And if you have an evaluation form, it's just a matter of adding that question onto it. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. How you doing? This is Caprice. How can hi, Caprice. You, hi. How can you leverage speaking to grow a business, a brand? How can you just speak it to so, grow a business? Yeah, absolutely. So how can you leverage a, 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 your speaking business or speaking in general to grow a business or a brand? Mm-hmm. So, so what I find works really well is as a speaker, you can actually mention, so if you're, if you're delivering a talk, you can mention your company, you can mention your brand, and what I like to do is get people engaging. So if you're speaking on a stage, I might say, you know, can you, uh, hey, everybody, did you want to tweet this out and let's see what kind of engagement we get. So you can do a real-time experience on the stage, but what that does is it gets them tweeting to you and connecting and following you, or you can say, you know, hey, I want to give a prize out. Um, does, uh, can everybody send me uh, a tweet and I'll pick somebody from it? So what that does is it gets them engaging with you after the talk, but the fact that you're there speaking also gives you that opportunity to become an expert in their eyes, and if you have a business or a brand that you can promote, it, it becomes really easy to just uh, talk about that brand, use a story, for example, in relation to that brand, and all of a sudden what you're doing now is you're leveraging speaking because you're on the stage, you're in front of hundreds or thousands or many of people, and you uh, share with them what you do and get into a story so it's not like selling or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it all of a sudden starts to build your brand. Okay. I have a follow-up question to that right quick. What is the difference, if you could tell me, between TED Talk and I don't know if you ever heard of this, Toastmasters? Very big difference. Uh, so I've been in Toastmasters. I've been a member and, uh, and of course, delivered TED Talks. And so the biggest difference is that Toastmasters is an organization that helps beginning speakers, in a lot of cases, deliver their very first talk in front of a small group of people, and they coach you through how to become a speaker, what speaking looks like. And, and Toastmasters isn't necessarily even for a paid speaker. It could be somebody who just wants to be able to speak at the office to get a message across. So it just teaches people the, the I'm going to say, the practice of public speaking from the ground up and from, you know, the very start, uh, whereas TEDx, a TEDx conference, you have to apply to speak at a TEDx conference. Usually you have to have experience. 
you're gonna you're gonna have 18 minutes to present, and if you bomb, uh, it either won't be aired, or worse, it could be aired, uh, and essentially you're gonna go to, uh, you compete with probably three or four hundred people to get one of seven spots. And so it's it's more of a prestigious, you're on stage sharing a message in front of a maybe a worldwide audience, whereas Toastmasters, typically you're in a smaller room and you're just learning how to speak in front of a, a small group of people. Mm. Thank you. Okay, okay. So you, you pretty much answered a lot of this question, but one of my goals, a part of my vision, my ultimate vision, is to deliver a TEDx talk. So in addition to what you just said as far as um, the prestige of it, why should a person try to secure a TEDx talk? So I have books out, and that's one of the ways that I was always taught to build your credibility. I mean, you become almost an expert overnight if you have a book out mm -hmm. in the eyes of most people. But I will say that the only thing that's in my career so far surpassed that, and even surpassed speaking in general as a credibility boost, is having a TEDx talk. There's something whenever a client's thinking about hiring me or even a client that it has nothing to do with my speaking at all, mm -hmm. here's they have a TEDx talk. A lot of people instantly are like, oh, my God, I love TEDx Talk. How did you ever get that? And so there's, there's a credibility boost that comes with having a TEDx Talk that I haven't experienced in almost any other walk of life. So I guess the why is because, first of all, if you're looking from a brand point of view or a business point of view, it's a huge credibility booster. Uh, the other side is if you're looking simply to make an impact and get an important message out to a large number of people, TEDx offers that opportunity because they potentially can put it on their website and share it out, and they're helping you get a message out to more people than you could probably reach in a lot of other ways. Okay. And you, the way you were explaining it is, is like, do they select you? Do you submit to it to be considered? or? So my, when I first started, uh, well, I'll say when my first TEDx talk, I don't believe you could nominate yourself. So then it had to be somebody had to see you speak know you, whatever it could be, uh, and nominate you. Obviously, there's people that could hack or trick the system because they nominate their friend, but the point is you still had to be nominated. And now it's changed dramatically. I think on every TEDx conference I've heard of, you can nominate yourself. You're still obviously going to be uh, pitted against a lot of people for a, a small number of spots. And a lot of TEDx conferences, you have to actually audition mm -hmm. before, like the audition before the committee, before the ladies consider you. Uh, so... In terms of the process, usually, like I said, you have to be nominated or nominate yourself. You have to uh, convince them as to why your talk would be a good fit for their conference. And then a lot of times you'll have to audition and prove that you're going to be able to deliver once you get on the stage. And they're everywhere, right? It's not like it's a central location that you go to deliver the speech. Yeah, they're everywhere. But I, I find that most people typically will attempt at first especially to secure a TEDx talk in their own area okay. because – a lot of times, they, you know, they don't want to, if they can help it, they don't want to travel. But some of the TEDx conferences will pay for your travel as well. But the one thing about a TEDx conference, which a lot of people that haven't delivered may not realize, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of background you have, no matter what kind of name brand you have, I've never heard of a TED or a TEDx uh, conference paying a speaker to deliver on a stage. Okay. Awesome. So, um... I was uh, with the speaking, and um, you're talking about all these great things, you know. It's, I guess it's not a necessarily a particular topic that it could be any topic, I guess, depending on whatever the venue is. So with that, whatever the story is or whatever it is that you're telling, do you think how important or significant is storytelling that you have to be to be good at with, with storytelling? 
it's really, in my opinion, to be a top-level speaker, it's everything. So being good at story, understanding the craft of story, being able to incorporate story into your talk, it's really everything. The, the top speakers that I've witnessed, the speakers that I've coached, what I've noticed is when they knock it out of the park, I'm going to say 99 or at least 95% of the time, it's because they know how to use story. Mm. You can use facts and figures, and there's a time during talks where you have to use facts and figures. If you're at an accounting conference and you're presenting on an, you know, an accounting, you probably have to use some facts and figures and graphs. But for the most part, people will learn more from story than they'll ever learn from facts and figures. And so if you can really deliver story and you know the craft of storytelling well, you can get your message across in a bigger way and a better way than almost any other approach you could take to delivering a message. Okay, well, I have another question. Do you think you could be born gifted to talk or you really have to be trained to talk um, to be a speaker? So uh, I can answer this from firsthand experience, thankfully. The answer is, so uh, there are some people that I would call born speakers, mm -hmm. and to me, that definition isn't necessarily they were born and, and, you know, two years old, they were a speaker. What I mean is when they get on the stage, they're immediately more comfortable than others, they don't have any nervousness at all, and they actually deliver, and, and meaning they actually knock it out of the park, they're good with ad libs. There's some people that are, are good just from the jump, but my experience per firsthand has showed me that you can also learn it. So I started as somebody who was terrified of the stage. I was a person who I delivered my first talk ever, and I don't remember a word of what I said. I almost passed out. I turned shades of color, and I didn't go on and get in front of an audience again for three more years. And ultimately, how I got into speaking is I jumped on a stand-up comedy stage, bombed horribly, and kept bombing horribly until I started to get the craft a little bit, and then I transitioned into speaking. But it was a journey for me. It wasn't something where I started and I was speaking well at the, at the beginning. I actually was really bad, like really, really bad. So I learned firsthand and know firsthand that it can be learned. Awesome, awesome. So in addition to st storytelling, what are other ways that you suggest a speaker engages the audience? So there's, there's a, quite a few different options you have if you want to pull your audience in, get them interacting, get them involved. But a big one is questions, so asking a question. Now, there's times whenever you can ask if anybody has any questions and get them involved that way. But it depends on the nature of where you're at. So if you're a, a keynote speaker, a lot of times you have a 45-minute talk and you won't have time to ask questions that you want to get answers to or allow the audience to ask questions. But what you can do is say, has anybody ever experienced? And then you can add in whatever you're talking about there. And that starts getting head moving and getting people to think, yeah, I've experienced that. So you can get your audience engaged that way. You can uh, tell, share a humorous story that people can relate to. You can share a universal story that people can relate to. And by doing this, you're pulling the audience in. Again, the getting them engaged could be, can you, can you, raise, your, you, know, can you raise your hand if uh, a great speaker named T.R. Becker, he'll say, let me ask you a question. Um, do you do this, yes or yes? And so he doesn't give you the chance to say no because he's all about positivity. Exactly. But the point is, is that he gets the audience saying yes. Tony Robbins uh, gets the audience saying aye. That's the big thing that he always says. Say this if you agree. Mm -hmm. So it, it really it's by asking questions and, and getting the audience to answer or think about the question. I'm just curious, who are some of your favorite speakers? Who do you like to listen to? So Steve Jobs, 
was uh, by, you know really at the top tier level uh, of the of the speaking elite, if you will, people that just really put you know he put the time in, he practiced it to uh, a fault. He was best whenever he delivered a talk. They say he used to spend six months practicing. He'd lock the door, nobody was allowed in. Uh, so Steve Jobs was a great presenter. Tony Robbins, who I just mentioned. Uh, Zig Ziglar, I'm a, uh, and, and he's the late Zig Ziglar. He's passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. One of the best speakers that I ever witnessed. Uh, so those would be, I guess, three of, of my faves, if you will. Okay. Mm-hmm. How can people follow you? How can people, if they want to um, get in contact with you, how can how can they reach you? So it depends what the, what the, their goal is. But if, if they just want to reach out and say hi, uh, that works. They can uh, you know they could simply type my name into Google and and you know add Twitter behind it or. Facebook and find me that way. Mm-hmm. I'm under most of those under under that speaker guy. If you, if you type guy. that into Twitter or Instagram, you'll find me. And then that uh, the speakingprogram.com is the website if people want to learn more about what I do to help other people get into the world of speaking. Okay. So you, you train as well? Yeah, I, I, I speak myself. I get out and speak. Uh, I'm on the road probably 300 days a year. But I also teach other people the craft of speaking and, and how to go from not even speaking before and never doing, never getting on a stage to actually how do you get paid fees and also create an impact. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You, you give me a lot of valuable information. I know that. Yes, indeed. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. You were very, very, oh, thank you guys so much. very refreshing. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Have oh, a good thank evening. you so much. You guys are awesome. Have an amazing night. You too. You too. Happy holidays to you. Okay. You too. Thanks so much. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. I need to learn how to speak without stuttering. TEDx, TEDx. Yeah. Can you can you learn not to stutter? Yes, I um actually have a stuttering you and do? a problem and a lisp. I have that. I didn't know that. So did you do it yourself? Did you get trained? Did you go Unfortunately, yes, because <laughs> I'm black and we don't get our children help. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> just hit her on the back of the head. She'll stop stuttering. Um, See, Nate say on top of the head. Right, on the top. God, just make it come out. It's just the thing of slowing down and allowing what you want to say. Mm -hmm. For some people, I'm not going to say it's for everyone. Slowing down. Theater helped me, I believe. Theater uh, inadvertently helped me with my stuttering concerns and my lisp. We we learned this thing called plosives, Mm -hmm. where um, you act, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it was P's, K's, T's, and B's. I think it was pigs get kicked down tiny blocks. So, you know, remember the episode of Good Times? It like it hurt. It, did it hurt? It did. When she said, the brown cow yeah. has speckled spots. So very yeah. similar. Uh-huh. But, you know, so knowing how to enunciate and yeah. and I speak, I guess for a living, I speak as a gift. Mm-hmm. Preaching, mm-hmm. Um, coaching, mm-hmm. just talking. Just com- talking in general. You know, jokes. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, all right. Well, you know, we have a couple more topics before I get into my final question for you all for the new year that's coming up. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, but this is something I saw in the group, and I was shocked at the answer, but I think I agree. Mm-hmm. So um, it said, I'd never forgive my wife for saving me over our child. I wouldn't even mm-hmm. save myself. SMH, what do y'all think about her explanation for putting her husband before her child? And what she, her post was, that's not it. Let's say there's a burning building. I can save my child or I can save my husband. I'm saving my husband. I don't want to raise my child without my, sp- my spouse if I can help it. My child can't help me mourn the loss of my husband. My child, no, my child can't help me mourn the loss of my husband. 
my child can't help. So I want to know, in that situation, who do you say? In that situation, it's difficult to even put it into words what you, that, that, that you would have to choose. Yeah. Um, if it's not life and death, I'm choosing my spouse. If it's life and death, I'm choosing my child. You know, if, if it's a situation of, you know, I'm married. Well, whether I'm married. I mean, of course, as a spouse, I'm married. And my child is acting a monkey or whatever. Who am I trying to do the fight for? I'm fighting with my spouse because that's what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. in that situation. Life or death, though, I'm fighting for the child because the child is, the, is a child. You know, and un- I would pray that my spouse wouldn't have to die or whatever, but I just you feel like... You had to choose. I would choose so a chose, child. You chose your child. I would choose a child. What would you do? Which child? <laughs> Caprice, if you don't answer the question... Uh, they, already, they already heard it now. No. So you got um, to explain I, it to I look do at when both, you get home. I look at both her things. She's saying, okay, I always can get another child, but I can't really get another husband. I'm, but you can't I, get another husband, though. Right. You, you can't get... I guess, you can't I replace children. You can replace spouse. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't Wife know. Wife or child? Child. I feel like you have the part of the spouse in that child to hold Ooh, on good to. Answer. Right. Good answer. Right. Good answer. I would definitely go with that. I would say the child. Yeah. You said the, the child. child. Yeah, because, I mean, they have their whole life That's to That's the to same live. point. Right. You know what I mean? I, I mean, and then, I mean, why couldn't my husband get off the building? <laughs> I mean, he... What, what, go back to sleep. Just go back to sleep. Get out the building. Mm-hmm. But just to answer your question, um, I would say the child. Because you can always get another husband. But you can always have another baby, though. But that that okay. child would never right. be able to be replaced. Yeah. Even though you can have another baby. Like, I have a girlfriend that lost her son. And it was like been four years. And it's like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. She if she has another baby, that'd be fine. But nobody's going to replace her son Robbie mm-hmm. ever. So I, I would. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, What's I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. Would you agree? He said he would save his spouse. I think. I think. I think. No, I would you gotta save. know because we all knew what we were gonna do. What are you gonna do? We don't want to think. We want to know. Well, yeah. I mean, if I didn't go in there and stay with both of them, <laughs> which were. I probably would because I would be torn either way. I think my first thing would be to get my my spouse. Well, I think you're gonna leave your baby in there crying. Mom she probably won't be crying at that point. But the thing, instinct is going to make you go to your child first, right. your child's room. It's That's going to make Sarah. you, yeah. I mean, because if your spouse, hey, so. get up, and you going straight to your child, so your instinct is already going to tell you go to okay, your child. Let's so your change, child let's will change be it. Safe. Let's change it. Yeah, you shouldn't have brought. Let's change oh, it. You, you know, we're not gonna change the subject. We not to change. change the subject. I want to change the scenario. Oh. So I was watching one of these medical shows, and it was a case where, you know, you had to choose between your wife or the baby. Are you one of those mothers who say, "Let me die and just and let the baby live"? Yes, that's part of. Uh, it's the same thing because you can I have think, another baby. I think Paula said it perfectly. You know, if I'm an adult, whatever life I've lived, I've at least had the opportunity to live. So she's to gonna adulthood. be born without a mother. Yes, so she can have mother figures. She still has another parent, but she hasn't. I'm taking away her opportunity or his opportunity to even grow to even have a life. Just to me, I think it's selfish when you choose a spouse over a child. Mm-hmm. But I think that that the thing about it is people know or society knows that when you have a baby, when you're pregnant, they tell you 
there's a chance you between life and death when you have a baby. Mm-hmm. So you already know that chance going into it pregnant that something may happen to me. You know that when you're driving down the street, you may get in an accident. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. You have to choose <laughs> between right. the two. That's what I'm so but you they would say, say also some Catholic hospitals, if you go there to have the baby, they're going to save the baby because you had your chance to live. Really? Mm-hmm. They're going to make the decision for you? Most Catholic hospitals. Wow. Did not know that one. Did not know. Okay, well, that was, that was interesting. That was interesting. Um, okay, this is another question that was in the group. When is the right time to tell the person that you're dating forward slash or in a relationship with personal things like, they say, you got lupus, <laughs> a disability, drug addict, or can't have kids? Is that something We don't have the time to talk about why lupus is even on that list. But that is just rude. <laughs> but I guess maybe they're saying like medical conditions or whatever. Do you tell that person when? I don't think it's about how long we've been together. It's how significant our relationship is. You know, um, I had this rule with dating, and if I'm in a situation to date again, I'll still have it. I don't think it's anybody's business, anything in my mm-hmm. life, if it does not affect their life. Like, people who ask when you're dating, how many people have you been with? Why? Because you want to interview them? You know, what What does that have to do with our relationship? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. So, I, I think there is no time period. If I have something, if I'm, um, what's the thing when you when you just, you kind of lose consciousness and then come back in? What's oh, the, narcolepsy. Uh, narcolepsy. Uh, narcolepsy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something you might want to say from, you know, in 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 the beginning, you know, well, you hey, be like, I just I just need you to know that. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You might want to, you know, you and Jesus more than Jesus need to take this wheel. Uh-huh. I need you to take the wheel. You know, so if it's something that will impede them or something like that, you know, or then I think maybe you can tell them without having any understanding of what your relationship is with them. But outside of that, I feel like. You gotta have some kind I like of what you said, unless it's going to affect them. Right. Then, but even then, I think it's. I mean, I don't think it's. You don't need to disclose your entire story. I because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. You don't even happen. know if you're going to be with them. Or yeah. Exactly. Right. And everything. Yeah. I mean, please. And then they telling their whole story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now this story that I've been saving till close to the end because of Paula. Um, so last week we had a heated discussion. Paula likes to wear her girls up and out. <laughs> And if a guy Not shows attention, if a guy shows attention or whatever when she was single, and if a guy shows attention to her or whatever, she don't think he has a right to comment or anything. <laughs> Close it off. On, you know, you know. <laughs> no, I didn't so, say that. And that was in the context of us believing, because she, she was playing, she was representing all women, and she was representing all women as being victims. Mm-hmm. Um, men are these domineering, tall figures who make women victims. So I found an article that was in Rolling Out written by Crystal Jordan that says, do women have any accountability in the current sexual harassment scandals? I'm not going to read the whole article. I read, um, I highlighted a few things I want to read to you. Um, It says that with the many cases popping up in the news today, there's a lot of confusion about the current landscape of sexual harassment, coercion, and indecency. Um, she says she doesn't want to insinuate there, that there's not a problematic structure of male dominance in the workplace, but she believes there is another side of the story that no one is addressing. Um, she said that she could remember when she graduated, basically to sum up that she was the youngest on the staff and there was an older gentleman who she said looked like um, Philip Michael Thomas. That was a guy from Miami. Miami, Vice, right? Right. She said one day while she was walking down to drop off some paperwork, she, um, he made a, a whistle. Um, a point in the whistle at her when she was walking by in her pencil skirt. 
suggesting that he, she reminded him of Diane Carroll. Um, as opposed to being insulted by his words and actions, I was flattered. Although I was young at the time, I realized that because of the source of the compliment, I welcomed it. If the compliment had came from somebody that was less attractive, um, mm -hmm. she's sure that she wouldn't have been excited about the remark. She then goes on to say that, um, yes, this man wasn't superior at my job, and the fact that he voiced an attraction to me may have helped me in some ways. But the reality of the situation is um, she wasn't concerned with the aftermath because it came from him. Um, she said, if I had taken the Philip Michael Thomas lookalike up on, on his offer to rendezvous and received a promotion, would it be fair for me to come back now 15 years later and call him a monster? I think not. Um, further down, she says, at the moment, if a woman is propositioned, she has three choices. She can let the man know that the advances aren't welcome and that if he continues that she'll take action. Um, she can ignore the situation hoping that he'll get the hint or she can go along with the advances in hopes of moving up in her career. Different women, different women in the same situations make different choices. Um, there was one of these people who said that, let me see. There was one lady, one person who, somebody came onto her and she let the person know that she had a boyfriend and that killed the situation. There was another person named, um, I guess I don't take it as a sign of aggression when men make comments about taking me out or even sexual advances. Tippy, who was a 35-year-old marketing executive, says, I do realize if I took some of them up on the offer, I'd probably much be much further in my career. Um, to Tippy's point, the women who succumb to the advances often benefit from their choices. So is it fair for them to villainize the men that they have made their lives or career, who have made their lives or their careers more successful? To suggest that someone has been inappropriate after reaping the ben <laughs> benefits of their indiscretion was suggested some some level of hypocrisy, or at the bare minimum, less harsher repercussions for the accused. We know that there is still a double, double standard when it comes to men and women in the workplace, and if we're going to demand the resignation and termination of men who practice this form of aggression and manipulation, we must hold the women who benefit from their offers to some level of accountability. You know, I want to say quickly, I'm only going to say one little teeny point and mm -hmm. then let everyone else say whatever their points and then I'll say something else perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, flirting, saying comments, um, complimenting, however you want to call it, I think that's where the line is drawing. Mm -hmm. You know, because if someone compliments someone, um, that's one thing. Whether I accept your compliment or I don't accept your compliment, that I don't think that should be any type of harassment. You know, um, if we're just not a, anyway. So that's 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 my major thing. And the the second thing, I think a lot of the people, I agree that you can't play both sides of the of the the story. Mm -hmm. But some of these women are their story isn't. I I went along with it to get promoted. It was I already had, and I was threatened to lose if I didn't go along with. Not necessarily to promote, but um, but my biggest point. So there were equals. You're saying early, well, not not equals. Like I'm already uh, like the actresses. I already got the part. You know, I'm in the movie, but I'm. But maybe it's most of them said that they were like it was early on in their careers. Right, but I'm saying they already they were in something in the career. They weren't just they weren't on the casting couch, and all their story isn't in. If you sleep with me, you get this part. It's you already have the part, but if you want to have more, if you don't want to lose the part or something like that. But that's not my that's not my issue. My issue is. 
it's the same thing if we weren't working. If some ugly dude said something to me that was corny or ridiculous, mm-hmm. I'm going to probably cuss him out, fuss him out, ignore him. If some cute dude says something stupid and corny to me, I might giggle it off and then hope that one time I one that I have a moment to tell him, hey, don't say that to nobody else that was corny and dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's your tolerance level. But I don't think we, we can't put compliments, whether received or not, in the same category as sexual harassment or threats and all that other stuff. What's that other word they use when they talk about this? Coercion? Coercion? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coercion, yeah. It's flirt. I mean, it's, it's flirting. Whether you want to be flirted with or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Why is that wrong if I say, Paula, you know, if I say, mm, Paula, I like how you're looking at dress, you know, maybe that's not flirty. Maybe that's a little too much. <laughs> I'm talking about you. <laughs> you know, but if I say, you know what, I think you look real nice today. Why is that, why is that sexual harassment? That's what I was going to say. You have right, to really I mean, understand what it is. Right. I mean, when you're so competition and, and... Defend your point, you and your, you know, your girls. Okay, what I said last week? Right. Okay, so what I said... Well, how this all started is that we were talking about... Let's bring it oh, the all the way home. We were talking about... Um, she, she... What is it called? She got to have, have, have it. And she had on this black dress. And to make a long story short, she went out with Jamie... Mm-hmm. Jamie was embarrassed at the restaurant because he thought the dress was just really too sexy, and she may have looked a little what, cheap, trashy. trashy a little bit, according to Jamie. In Jamie's eyes, because his friends were at the restaurant, sent over a bottle of champagne and was just really gawking at her. He's like, "Oh, Nola, do you want to put on a coat? Aren't you chilly?" She's like, "No, I'm not chilly." I mean, she's very confident in a dress, and it wasn't. It was short, but it was just like a simple black dress. Nothing simple about it. Well, okay. It wasn't that simple, but she was confident in mm-hmm. it, and she bought it for herself. When Jamie brought her home uh, while they were in the car, now this is the part, the point that I left out. Now, all of a sudden, it's all about the black dress. Oh, baby, you look so sexy in a black dress. Can I go upstairs? Let's go upstairs, because that black dress is turning me on. So she made the decision, no, you can't come upstairs, because when we were at the restaurant, you were saying I look this way. Because of the people's, the, with the word I hate the worst is perception. Mm-hmm. You didn't say, I'm confident in my dress. The same way you're looking at me now, you should have had that confidence in me and supported me when I was at the restaurant. But now you want to go upstairs and play slap and tickle because there's nobody around and now you want to tell me how sexy I'm looking in this black dress. So what happened was I, I had said when women get dressed, a lot of times, yes, they want to look sexy, but a lot of times they get dressed for themselves. Um, and they were telling me no. And then what I was saying was that, like, when I, like, there's certain things that, like, I wear a dress that may be low cut or, you know, some of my girls are out, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm confident and comfortable in that. I'm not looking for some, if some guy comes up to me and says, oh, you look really nice, you know, you look real sexy, you know, when you're staying at my girl's. That's what you do, but I'm not going to cover myself all the way up because of some guy is controlling, and that's what Nola was saying. You can't control what I wear or what I do, and I shouldn't. I should be able to wear what I want without worrying about what mm-hmm. some man's going to do or think. Because you're saying that, in essence, I'm enticing you. You, I, you put this on, but you wanted that. No, I didn't want that. I wanted to wear my dress. 
you need to control yourself. And then when I left and had this conversation, I mean, it was a big mm-hmm. deal. I've had this conversation like three times after this. And they were saying yes. Most of them were saying yes. When I get dressed, a man needs to control himself. You can't say, oh, it's my fault that I attacked you because you had this dress on. Listen to what that says. I attacked I don't you. Think about it, it was my it was fa- your fault. No, that's a just in essence what you guys are saying. You, you what, what everyone is saying. Even women say that. Oh, she deserved it because she had this mm. on. You know what? I, I wasn't. I didn't. Do you understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying, but I'm always on the part of the argument that says that, um, and I feel like I'm in the minority. I don't think I agree with that. What I wear. Whatever I choose, whatever any woman chooses to wear, vice versa, even a man, is not giving someone the excuse to do something, to give someone permission to do something with with me or my body that I didn't give them permission with. But I do think it's irresponsible for women who dress in a provocative way or a way that um, is sexual to to act as if it would not entice. And 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 I so if if I'm wearing something where I have on pastries. And 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 so all of my breasts are out except for my nipple, and I, I I think it is naive to think that someone is not going to be enticed by your naked flesh out there, you know. And so I think that's naive. Does not give them the permission to do anything with it, but it's naive for you to say they should not feel a certain way about what they have, what they're seeing. No, but what I'm saying is. And what the conversation was after after I left here is when does the control come in? Are you saying, and I'm not saying all men because that's what I got dinged on that too. I'm not saying all men. <laughs> right. But what I'm saying in is general. that when is a man going to be able to control themselves? And this is what this whole sexual harassment thing is why it's coming out now. Because they can't control themselves. You think you just have the liberty and the right to do what you want to do to women when you get ready and think that it's okay. And actually, in essence, kind of treating them like second-class citizens because you are a woman, and yes, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to tell you. I want to touch you on your butt, rub you on your chest, because I can. But you know, Paula, the, the, the thing is, but I don't think that has to be, and I'm only saying extreme, I don't think women have to dress in the way that this NOLA character, I haven't seen it. I don't think that women have to dress like that. Men who are that out of control with sexual harassment, you all remember that episode of A Different World when Whitley came in there dressed and had like an old school mom dress. Yeah. If, if, if sexual harassment is a control, I'm not a control thing, it's a power, it's a power thing. thing. Mm-hmm. I don't, power. It's a power thing. And so I don't think you have to dress provocative. You don't have to wear the NOLA dress. I think it's... I want to exert power, and the best way I want to do that is intimidate you in a sexual manner. I think that's the root, and so I think your question is correct. When are they going to get control, or when are they going to stop being, when are they going to have confidence in what their ability is instead of trying to intimidate women with some type of sexual power they think they can have over them? Because all, all women who are sexually harassed aren't dressing and mm-hmm. they're yeah. aren't dressing right. like that, you know. Yeah, and place. so, so they're in, like they're in a workplace, mm-hmm. and they are wearing whatever their dress code is. And so people, because what I, I'm saying this to say, people will argue that people who are dressed like Nola, they will throw their cases out because they'll say she shouldn't have been dressed like mm-hmm. that. 
But then you if don't have the right to tell them right, you don't have the right to tell them that. But so if that's your argument, what about the other girls behind her who weren't dressed like her? So he, you can't say that that is the same reason because they were harassed too, but they weren't dressed like that. So these, um, right? That, I mean, and, and that's a, that's a great point that you that you bring up. That, yeah, and I think that's awesome because what what another thing that we were saying is that when a woman. No matter in what scenario, right. boyfriend, husband, partner, whatever, if she's telling you no, you need to respect it. Right. That. Because then, like you said, it, that put on a, uh, a light bulb for me. It's all about a power thing. Right. No is no. Mm-hmm. And if you have a person that doesn't respect your no, no matter who it is, respect my no. Respect my no. Hashtag, uh, you should hashtag. Hashtag, yeah, respect my no. no that I know that you're trying to control. Right. Bottom line. I like hashtag my no. You're going to use Respect it. my no. Respect yeah, my respect no. Respect my no. Because can I say what I, my therapist told me to? Just Very briefly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got this really great epiphany from my therapist. I called Will right away. Mm-hmm. So she was saying to me that when you overanalyze things, it paralyzes. Girl, say that. I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. As soon as I got, I was like, because I heard that before, I was like, when you overanalyze things, it paralyzes you. Mm. That's all I have to say about that. That, that was an aha moment for you? It mm-hmm. resonated with me. Was that an aha moment? Are mm-hmm. you serious? You didn't put that up. I know I know a person who overanalyzes and, and she is completely paralyzed by it. Okay, well, I'm, when I'm awake, I'm going to really think about that. Stay woke. <laughs> all right, all right. My last question for you: We we had a dinner last night, planning mm-hmm. some things for next year. I want to know: Do you have any big goals? And I know you had a follow up question. Do you have any big goals, or as they call them, resolutions for 2018? You didn't follow my goals last week. You said you had a follow up. Mm-hmm. I remember. I, remember. Well, I would call it a life plan. <laughs> <laughs> a life plan. <laughs> <laughs> life plan, aspirations, vision. Do you uh, have anything that sticks out that you want to share? Anything like that? Or you're just going to continue? Just going to continue doing continue. what I'm doing, grow in the Lord, and okay. keep. Um, what about you? That's it. Continuation? Um, um, no, I don't want to have a continuation of anything that I'm doing. I have been living my <laughs> life <laughs> running, <laughs> trying to catch up, mm-hmm. I'm missing opportunities for my children. Um, I'm doing so much. I'm, I'm a single parent again. And, you know, a single parent at 23 <coughs> with one child, opposed to being Ooh, a single Wait a minute. Who's 23? No, no, no. When I was 23, oh. I was a single parent for the first so we, time. Because we're going to keep it 100 on this show. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, if I was going to go with 23, I'd tell you what. I hope you're looking for the war for the most shade. Um, go ahead. Start with that when you tell your story. Okay, baby. So, uh-huh. um, when I was 23 as a single mother, uh-huh. you know, there's just a different fire you have. Uh-huh. You know, a different endurance um, waistline. And um, at 37 with a 14-year-old and a 3-year-old, it's so much. And then being involved in so much, you know. And um, so I don't want to do anything that I that I didn't do. I'm ready for 2017 to just be behind me. What I would like to do is make more strategic mm-hmm. and um, proactive ch- um, choices, choices in my life. Okay. So. What about you, sir? You can already start a whole new life. Yeah. I'm trying to stay confident, really. That's really my really? goal. Are you nervous? Confident. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Part of that is confidence, too. Okay. Just not yeah. really knowing where I'm going to be. Yeah. You know, maybe a year from now or something. Are you well, from you here? You always hang out with us, dude. We're going back to D.C. Yeah. Oh, you're going to 
Yeah. So are you continuing? Yeah. Are you, are, is, is your bachelor's it? Are you continuing or what? For right now, it's it. I don't know if I can do this again, but okay. maybe down the line, you know, you never know. Yeah. Maybe like you trying to get Why do you see? Oh, go ahead, Paul. I just want to ask you one question. From school, um, you know, when you before you've been in school and all the experience that you had and, um, and doing this, what would be your great takeaway? Um, piggybacking on what I aspire to bring forth is the confidence. And I'm doing a lot of things that I normally wouldn't have done had I not come to this university. Whereas, like, you know, helping out with Will in the show and, you know, having my own show even at this point, you know, just things that I normally don't do as an only child. You know, I'm really quiet usually. So this, just being, having the platform to do all this stuff is really something I take with going forward. Thank you. That was an insightful cool. question. Made me think about myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try think to be on your feet. Think <laughs> on your feet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, well, 2018 hopefully is going to continue to be a blessing. Um, as I was sharing last night, I just want it to be a great year. I want 2008. My question I was going to ask you is everybody's writing the book. They have, mm-hmm. Whether they know it or not, they have a book of their life. And I was going to ask you for 2018 what was going to be the name of this chapter of your book. For me, it's going to be the rebirth. Um, I may have said it before, but I know I'm going to, um, it's going to be me. True me, I'm trying to take all masks, curtains, and everything off. I'm probably going to lose a lot of people on the way, mm-hmm. but I'm excited about um, the new opportunities that are going to come forward. Because um, i got a lot of things I need to work through first. Once that's worked through, I hope it's going to be like that. What is it? What has the pearl? The oyster? Yes. The oyster? Mm-hmm. After they get through all that stuff, it's just All that rough yeah. Great. Yeah. It's going to be 100. I'm, I'm excited about 2018. I'm excited. I'm excited, excited for you. You're excited I'm gonna for me? I'm going to be right here. Oh, okay. This is you and this is me right here. <laughs> I have a small <laughs> chapter of book. I, I think looking over this past year, I would say um, if I was to write another book, uh-huh. success is not what you think it is. What? Quickly, why do you say that? Because success to me is not what everybody think it is. You know, society. Are we going back to what we went to school and got all these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Society said. I'm talking like society said. You got to have all this mass amount of money. You got to have, you know, these cars. You're such that you're carrying a certain bag. Oh yeah. It's not what you think it is because you have all that, and some people you're still not successful. Lisa um, Nichols, who I'm following now, um, who Mm -hmm. is one of the, I love her speaking style. She um, did a, a talk about um, pretty much the same thing, talking about the mm. difference between wealth and abundance. Mm-hmm. And she was basically talking about you really want abundance because that encompasses yeah. everything, exactly. not just those tangible material things. So we'll be back on air on Wednesday, January the 16th or the 17th, I believe. January the 17th. I'm excited about it, but I'm also looking forward to this month off to regroup. I'm burnt Ooh. out. But i um, excited for everything. And... Um, I wish you the best of luck. If you need a letter yeah, of recommendation. I'll definitely give a, a Nikki call. Nikki and I also, we already said, if you need a rec- letter of recommendation, anything like that to help you, we're here for you. Appreciate that. Yeah, because you were awesome. We no appreciate problem. it. Thank you so it won't much. Won't be the last time you hear from us. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. That's right. Yes, right. yes. Everybody else, happy holidays. Happy Merry holidays. Christmas. Happy holidays. All of that. Until next year, everybody be blessed. Thank you for listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. Please be sure to visit us on the web at letsfaceitradio.com. 
and at Let's Face It Radio on Facebook for the latest in show information and exciting, innovating ways that you can be a part of the show. So tune in next week, same place, same time, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Benefit from no ATM fees nationwide with a Columbia Bank Advantage Plus checking account. Use any ATM anywhere nationwide for total convenience. Make any ATM your ATM. For Advantage Plus checking, receive credit up to 10 surcharges or $30 per statement cycle, whichever is less at domestic ATMs not owned by us at charge of transaction surcharge. Maximum rebate of $360 for 12 statement cycles. All offers are subject to be withdrawn at any time. Member FDIC, count on Columbia. Critics and audiences are cheering for Bumblebee. It's an incredible 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. The perfect blend of action, heart, and humor. Not just a great Transformers movie, a great movie, period. Bumblebee, now playing. Ready PG-13.